In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God. Glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us, and cleanse us of every stain, and save our souls, O good one. When I was baptized in the Jordan, O Lord, the worship of the Trinity was made manifest. For the voice of the Father bear witness to thee, calling thee his beloved Son. And the Spirit in the form of a dove confirm the certainty of the word. O Christ our God, who hast appeared and hast enlightened the world, glory be to thee. When looking for someone to get married to, obviously you want the person who's going to marry you to be a person who has love for you, a person who thinks about you during the day even when you're separate, a person who has you in their heart a person who has concern for you, a person who wants to be with you. I've, I've had some experience of people who, when they're looking at someone who they're thinking to marry, or they want to marry, they actually uh, see some things which don't make sense, that even though the person might say to them, oh, I have so much love for you, etc., but yet they don't think about when their birthday is or when their name day is. A lot of times they don't think about, about them ring up during the day or anything like that. And if they do, it's like they're doing it only so they don't get caught out. And in those situations, it would be better to um, pull away because there's something wrong with the person. And if you've got the same problem, then you better tell the other person that you're not who you seem to be and save them the hardship. So we say, when a person's in love, they think about the person, they have the person in their mind, in their hearts, in their everything. They want to be with the person, they enjoy being with the person, they love to talk to the person, like to do things with the person, etc. Now what's that got to do with prayer? Because today's uh, talk is on prayer. So why start off with that? And the reason why I started off with that is in a similar way that you would find it quite negative for someone who says they want to marry you and yet they don't even think about you. They're out with their friends, but they're not really out with you, etc., etc., unless the relationship's an emotional, sick relationship, but that's another thing. Let's just say on a normal thing. That's the same as in prayer. Prayer means that you are in communion with God during the time of prayer and during the day you have God on your mind, you have God in your heart. If we say we love God but yet like that person who supposedly loves the person they're going to marry, then there's something that contradicts. And if we examine our lives, we will see really that how much love we have for God isn't much because we would prefer to do worldly things 
We prefer to watch TV or go out, etc., etc. We come to church late and we come to the main theme of tonight. We don't even pray because it's in prayer where we unite with God. Now, from my little experience, this, this year is my 20th year as a priest in September, I have a little bit of experience. And what my experience has, has told me well, I'll tell you in the beginning. In the beginning, when I first became a priest, I was very enthusiastic, not that I'm not now, but I, I've learned a lot in the sense of, in the beginning, I would say to people, okay, well, of course, you have to have a prayer rule. Here's a certain number of prayers that you do uh, every day. And so I would give these prayer rules to people who really didn't do it. They did it a little bit, fizzled out, don't do it. It's unfortunate to say that. Nearly everyone doesn't pray. Just about every Orthodox Christian doesn't pray. Now you might say they don't pray because they don't know how to pray or they don't pray because uh, they don't want to pray. The thing is that people don't know much about it, which is what we're going to do tonight, but I think the main reason is, is that people refuse to pray. People don't force themselves, exert themselves to pray. And that is why you see Orthodox Christians that have been in the church ones can say 10 years, 20 years. People that have gone overseas to Jerusalem, to Mount Athos, to other monasteries, supposedly to be rejuvenated and they come back and they are just as dead or if not worse than what they were before they came back. Now, we often read statements like Elder Joseph, for example, of Optina, where he says, prayer is the food for the soul. Do not starve the soul. It's better to let the body go hungry. So we read that. St. Ignatius, Branchinov says, whoever doesn't pray denies their salvation so whoever doesn't want to pray it's like they're saying they don't want to be saved now some of you might ask am i saying that if you don't pray you can't be saved the answer to that elder porfirios also um uh, spoke about that and he said without repentance there can be no salvation we know that but repentance comes through prayer Saint Nikon of Optina says do not forget prayer it is the life of the soul so if someone doesn't pray it means that their soul is dead we read and read and read in the lives of saints. For example, we see in the lives of saints that one thing common between all of them, so it might be a married saint, another life of saint you, we might read could be a bishop, another life of saint could be an abbess or a monk or a nun or a priest in the world or a priest monk in the world or a martyr or an ascetic or someone that lived in the desert. All these all different lives of saints. The Orthodox Church has such a, a wide range of saints. 
And just people, as I said, people living in the world. We have the unmercenary healers that heal people. Some of them were doctors and they healed as well with the power of Christ. What do they have all in common except for the fact, obviously, that they all believe in Christ as God? What else do they have in common? What's common in, every, in all of them? Because they're not all bishops and they're not all martyrs and they're not all married and they're not all missionaries or they're not all monks, they're not all nuns. So what's common with all of them? And the answer is prayer. Every single one of them prayed. What does that mean? It means that if we expect to become saints, and what I mean by saints, I don't mean saints that are going to have an icon of ourselves so that people can venerate. A saint is a person who's saved. The ones that we see in the churches are the ones who have been acknowledged by the church. God has revealed them to people to venerate. But there are so many who have died who became saints. We did this in talk 29 and 30. As long as the person died repentant, confessing Christ, then the person is saved. So that's the common thing. We see in all of them they were all men or women of prayer. Now, if we know this, then why aren't we doing anything about it? Now, some will say, oh, but they were saints. But they were ordinary people. They became saints because they prayed. The answer, partly, is that people refuse to, to struggle. People prefer worldly things. People prefer television. People prefer money. People prefer glory, sports, whatever, whatever else that they do. Uh, does that mean that if someone plays sports that they can't be saved? I'm not saying that. It's when we make sports our God. When we make money our God. Even Christ's apostles had a box. They used to collect money. So Christ didn't go against money. But it's the way that you use the money. When you make money your God. So, it's, and people have their God themselves, their looks, their beauty, their bodies, whatever else. A lot of distractions today, especially technology. So many distractions. People can't even have a shower without having a waterproof radio in there or have a radio outside of, the sh of their um, shower. They can't afford a waterproof one. But they've got waterproof ones too now. And excuse the expression, people can't even go to the toilet without having some music. People can't be in the car without having music. They've even got at the back of the more modern cars video screens so the children can watch DVDs. So making sure that the mind is constantly stimulated constantly stimulated, people, th th those people would find it very difficult to pray. See, because they're used to colour, they're used to, you know, flashing things and quick things and images, about, you know, like 10, 15 uh, um, images within a few seconds, while prayer is something which needs for you to be calm. So if you're not calm... Or if you've, if you've been on the computer all night, 
or if you've been watching TV, it'd be very hard later on to go to prayer. And we know now from doctors, etc., psychologists, that, that this is becoming a big problem, that there is too much stimulation, way too much. Years ago, I used to do talks, I used to go down to Melbourne and do talks even before I became a priest, in 1986 or seven around there, and I was only a lay person then, but yet sometimes I would get about 100 people that would come. And then later on I became a priest and I went down a few times and there would still be quite a lot of people that would come. I was much stricter, I would say quite abrupt things, and yet people still came. But yet, now I'm much more careful, got to be careful today, got to be politically correct, so we've got to be careful how we speak about women's liberation, how we speak about homosexuality, how we speak about those who love animals more than people, how do we, you know, we've got to be very, very careful. So I'm still, I still give the knife, but I give it in a nice way. So, why now, why in these times is there less? And I say, well, I would say from around 90, 94, 95, 96, there was a, people became quite unspiritual. People became not, they weren't very interested in spiritual things. Who knows what happened in around that time, around the 19... 94, I think it was, around there. Anyone know? The internet. The internet came, and with it came the pornography, but with it came access of information. Now, you hear some silly people say, you've got to become empowered with information. Knowledge is power. To me, knowledge, that type of content, how much can you know? How much do we have to know? Do we have to know everything? which is demonic, isn't it? Like, the, like Adam and Eve when they were in, the, in paradise and they wanted the, to have access to the tree of knowledge. It's like we have to know everything. And how much can the brain take? Someone say, sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, it might make it easier. Why don't you buy a certain, certain contraption, I don't know, which will make things easier. It might be, um, I don't know, sometimes these things, even these, these things which we have to buy out of need, but someone might say, oh, why don't you buy something like that? I said, no, I can't, because with them come instructions that are thick as a telephone book, and that, to me, is tiring, very tiring. See, I have to use a mobile sometimes when I go out. My one is the old ones. I say, oh, you can get new ones. Well, I don't want new ones because I've got to learn it, and to actually learn it, it to me, is tiring. And there are people who are involved continually, every single thing that comes out in the world, every new iPod, whatever they're called, and every new Blackberry, and every new Blueberries, whatever comes out in the world, they have to get it. And that is the reason that people have lost their spirituality. See, the saints wanted peace and quiet. Now, obviously, you, a lot of you people work in the world, you go to school, you go to university, and obviously you can't go and live in the Blue Mountains in a cave 
because you want peace and quiet. You've got to go and live in the world. But, okay, you've got to go into the city to work. Does that mean then after, when you come home, after you've heard traffic and noise all day, that you've got to go home and then put a stereo or put a DVD, etc., etc.? So that is one of the main re- and pornography as well. That is, those things are the main reasons which have made people spiritually dead. And the young people that are coming into the world from that time especially with the cable television, etc., where back in my times, I don't even know if my parents had a TV when we first, when I was first born, maybe, because that came out in 56, I was born in 58. They probably, because people couldn't afford it in the beginning, maybe they got it when I was 1960, 61, something like that, which means for the first years, I didn't have that. Thanks God. But the people today, the, the children, are from very young, basically from the day they're born, they are exposed to this technology, constant visual, constant, constant, those people, I would say, are people that would be very difficult for them to lead a spiritual life. Actually, they're mentally ill. It makes people mentally ill. And it also is the one of the main things for schizophrenia. And I've said this before, but we'll have more talks about that in the future. TV, a child at six months, one year, two, months, two years old, three years old, four years old, five years old, even six years old, does not understand the difference between reality and fantasy. It doesn't understand. It gets confused. As I've said before, it sees an actor in one show as a very nice person and it sees the same actor in another show as a person who kills people. And the child gets confused. It becomes, and, and not only that, but it sees just so many disturbing things. It doesn't know that there's an actor pretending to do something bad to people. So all these kids are becoming really unwell. And I think few psychologists, psychiatrists are admitting it. More later on. More will come. You as Orthodox Christians, don't let your children watch that stuff. Anything, even cartoons, it's still disturbing. In the, in the cartoons, it's got things. Even Bugs Bunny what used to be in, back in those days. Bugs Bunny was a transvestite. Other times he was um, uh, gay. Other times he was this. Other times that. So it all had Casper the Friendly Ghost. All these shows all looks like, oh, they were only children's shows. But all these things were an introduction for what's going on now, for the big stuff. But nevertheless, still it affects. So let's get into um, the theme tonight. There are people, of course, who want to pray, but they don't know how to pray. The truth of the matter is, the majority of confessors, I won't say spiritual fathers, because a true spiritual father is someone who takes care of the soul. Today, mostly in the Orthodox world, is what we call confessors. They listen to your sins, but you're not going to get much guidance. They're not going to sit down and talk to you about prayer rules and things like that. Sometimes it's because they're busy, so they're not really what's called spiritual fathers. What's a father? A father is someone who loves their children, takes care of them, is concerned about them, thinks about them. Well, a spiritual father is a priest who is concerned, prays for his spiritual children, takes care of them, struggles with them, 
helping them continue. That's what a spiritual father is. But of course there are some very good spiritual fathers in Greece. There's, oh, there's so many now in America. There's a couple here. But the point is that it's very rare. However, as St. Ignatius Branchinov says, he says that we still have the Holy Fathers and we have, for example, today I'm going to borrow a lot from Bishop Theophan the Recluse, St. Theophan the Recluse, he died in 1896. He became a bishop. After seven years, he said he was sick, but I think more he wanted to lead a enclosed life, a life of a monastic recluse. And so therefore he left being a bishop and he went to a monastery. And then for a number of years, he also cut himself off from everyone didn't go to services, etc. He only had access to his spiritual father and the abbot, and that was it. So he spent many years like that, and he became one of the great luminaries of the Russian church. We also have St. Ignatius Branchininov, which I think maybe a little bit before him. I, can't, I don't know the dates. Uh, another great Russian saint. And I've taken a lot from their stuff and a few other people and the obstinate elders too, so that we can go through prayer. So today, I would assume that those who have come want to know how to pray. And if you didn't come for that, well, you're going to be very bored and I don't mind if you leave because, I mean, this is, this is a talk on prayer. I'm not here for popularity. I'm here because some people ask me and I've always been meaning to do this, even before that, that particular, those particular people asked me, has been very important. You see, people say to me, speak about ecumenism, speak about this, speak about that. But how can you speak about a lot of those things? If That's why I did those talks, talks 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, which is ready today. The reason why I did all them is so that people can see the importance of humility, not trusting yourself, of repentance, not trusting visions, etc. How many people became deceived because of the, they wanted to live on their own and pray. As I said, all those type of things. And without prayer, how can someone go into the spiritual life? I remember when I was young, when I first started, when I, when I came to the church around 25 years old, whatever, and I, was, and, I was, and I read a book, and it said in the book, uh, if someone starts the spiritual life and doesn't do it properly, they can become worse than what they were before they even started. They can become worse than what they were even before they came to Christ, even before they came to the church, even before they repented, even in other words, they become worse than what they were when they were worldly. And that to me shocked me. It really shocked me because I said to myself, well, am I going to become worse than what I was before? Well, that means that, what's the point? And then, because it was saying in the book, it's easy to be deceived and a lot of people get deceived and all these things. And that scared me and it kind of made me think, well, what's the point? But later on, I thought to myself, well, it's too late now because I already know the truth. And when you know the truth, you've got to go forward. You can't turn back because you'll turn into salt, as we know from the Old Testament. You've got to go forward and be humble. We must not think that we know everything. 
We must take instruction, listen to people when they speak to us. Even an unbeliever can come up and say, and say to us something which is correct about us. They might say, oh, you know that you're such an obnoxious person or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then you say, well, to yourself, you say, well, who's he? He's an unbeliever. But God can enlighten unbelievers. God can enlighten even a heretic or someone to tell us our faults. So we shouldn't ignore when people do tell us about ourselves. So without prayer, it's like you're going into a forest. See, we're a bit spoilt in the city because we've got lights everywhere. The only time I ever experienced this without any lights was when I went to Greece to my mother's village there where there were no lights. And there was no moon that night. And of course, a lot of you people that come from villages overseas, you know, but I never experienced that before because I was brought up in the city. It was pitch dark. I was walking slowly, not knowing, you know, you need to have a torch or a lamp, which I never had one because I never knew. That's the same as in spiritual life. Prayer is light. Prayer is a light. Without light, without the light to enlighten our minds, without the grace of God, how can we proceed into the spiritual life? We're going to fall. We're going to hit our heads. We're going to smash our heads. We're going to become, we're going to get deceived. The devils play with us. As soon as some temptation comes, we fall. Prayer gives us everything. It arms us to be able to go through our life, through our spiritual life. So let us begin with some beautiful instructions by these saints on prayer. The first one is by Saint Theophan the Clus. Now these are letters that he wrote to people, but we will apply them to ours every day. Some letters he wrote were to lay people, some were to monastics, but we will make them to be um, helpful for us. So this is what he says. You write that you don't pray, the saint is saying to the person, because the person obviously wrote to him and says, I don't pray. Now let's see how Saint Theophan the recluse reacts. He said, smart Alec. In other words, smart Alec, like really... Uh, upset have you joined the ranks of the unbelievers or what have you become an unbeliever that actually you don't pray how is it possible that you don't pray don't just read the appointed prayers in the prayer book speak also in your own words and tell God what is in your heart ask for help and he quotes, See, Lord, what troubles me, this and this. I can't straighten myself out. Help, O merciful one. So Saint Theophan is telling the person how to pray, what to say. Mention every little thing and plead for the appropriate healing for everything. This will be true prayer. You may always pray your own prayers as long as you do not fall into sloth. That's, that means laziness. That is, to have no prayer rule. I want to explain something here. People have problems in their life. Married people, especially newly married people, they're going to have problems. Their faults start coming out. 
the husband's faults start coming out, the woman's fault, because remember when we're separated, these faults don't come out. But when people get married, then it all starts coming out. And other things, when you have children, you're going to have problems with children, you're going to have problems at work, you're going to have problems here and there everywhere. And yet, when I speak to people, and people say to me, and people say to me, oh, you know, I've got a problem with my children or something. And I say to them, okay, so have you prayed about it? They go, no, no, I didn't think of that. Another person comes up. I have a problem with my husband or certain things. Have you prayed about it? Didn't think of that. I have a problem at work. Did you pray about it? Didn't think of that. So it's like prayer is some, I don't know what it is, something which is not part of life. But prayer is part of your whole life. Not just, we say, Sunday Christians, even though many don't even go to church on Sunday. Not just coming to church and then you go home and then that's it. A spiritual life carries you right through in every aspect of your life. At work, at school, at university, with your husband, with your wife, with your friends, with your brothers, with your sisters, with your parents, etc. It's everything. As St Anthony the Great says, salvation is wrapped up in our neighbours. It's the way we behave with our neighbours, meaning with our spouses, with our children, with our next-door neighbours, with our friends, with our cousins, with our uncles, aunties, grandparents, whatever, everyone. How we react with all those people determines whether we are saved or not. So, that's what St. Theophan here is saying. He's saying, mention every little thing. Then he says, you can also, because this will be true prayer. You, you speak, people say, I have a passion with uh, swearing, for example. Okay, have you prayed about it? Didn't think of that. I have a passion of judging people. Did you pray about that? Didn't think of that. I have a passion hating people. I tend to hate people. I'm jealous of them, etc. Did you pray about it? Didn't think of that. So that doesn't, make, that doesn't make sense. Then he says here, you may always pray in your own prayers, in your own words, in other words, as long as you don't fall into sloth. We're going to come to that later on, what he means by that, because some people say, I don't want to use prayer books. I don't want to use what's the, what the church has got you know, written, morning prayers, night prayers. I'll just pray in my own words. And he says, that's okay, but there is a danger that you fizzle out altogether and you stop praying. St. Theophan continues, he says, Accustom yourself to pray and God willing, soon you will develop prayer in yourself. Then there will be no need for formal prayer rules. Labour or nothing will come of you. So here he's saying, by practising prayer, by labouring, by struggling with prayer, that's how you learn prayer. If, there be, if there's no success in prayer, then there'll be no success in anything. It is the root of everything. What did I say at the beginning of the talk? Prayer is everything. So this is not me speaking because someone might say, well, who are you to speak? That's fair enough. That's, you can have that. But here we have St. Theophan the Recluse. And he says, 
if you have no success in prayer, there'll be no success in anything. Now, some of you might say, oh, does Bill Gates pray? He's got billions and billions of dollars. All these pop stars, all these other movie stars and all these other people, do they pray? How come they've got success? But that's success in something which not necessarily is good for their soul or success means here where you attain salvation because the purpose of prayer is to be saved, to enter into union with God and to be saved. So we have to understand what success also means. Success also means to bring up your children, not in a worldly way, but successful in a spiritual way. So we go on the next letter. Well, where has your prayer vanished, says St. Theophan to the person he's writing. Where has your prayer vanished? It seems to have started off quite well and you have already experienced its graceful actions in your heart. I will tell you where it's gone. Having prayed once or twice with warmth and zeal and having experienced such immediate help through prayer at the shrine of St. Sergius, Russian saint, you thought your prayer was forever established and that there was no need to maintain it. You thought it would flow by itself. Now, to me, this is a fantastic letter because this is what happens. People come to the church, they might repent and say, they start coming to church, they get some zeal there, they start to pray. And after a while, as I said, maybe weeks, two weeks, five months, whatever, sometimes even a year or two years, it fizzles out and it's disappeared. Now, Saint Theophan here is writing to this person and he wants to explain to him where his prayer went, why he lost prayer. And he's saying that which is what happens for a lot of people he goes in the beginning you experience the grace of god in your heart which usually does happen a lot when people repent and come to the church you experience the grace of god he this person also went to saint sergius uh, the the shrine where saint sergius's um body is relics and he received help his prayers were answered, whatever he prayed for. But the problem is that this person thought that because he felt these things, that that's how it was going to be forever, that he was going to have this prayer life forever. He thought it was just going to come automatically. And that's the mistake. And that's the sad thing with Orthodox Christians today. It's like, if I can use the analogy, it's like when you're at the beach... Those surfers, they get on the the wave and they're riding the the wave on their surfboards. So that's the same when a person first comes to the church. A lot of times the grace helps the person, makes things easy, makes the person, helps the person to pray, helps the person to read, helps the person to go to church. If the grace didn't help, that person wouldn't be able to do that. So that's the same. So in the beginning it's easy because grace helps. But as you know, with a wave, after a while the wave dies out and then the person has to make do to get to the shore himself. Or he goes back and gets another wave. But the point is there that 
It doesn't last like that. Why doesn't God give us his grace continually? Why doesn't he help us with prayer continually? Why doesn't he help us go to church easily? Why doesn't he help us to read? Why can't everything be easy? Because if he allowed that to happen, we will become demons. We will become devils in the sense that we will become proud that we have grace, that we begin to judge others, because this grace is not grace that's given, which comes through, as Elder Ephraim says of, um, in, um, in the US there, from Arizona, grace which comes from our experience of our falls, of our sins, of our passions, when we really experience ourselves as being evil and horrible with all the passions and sins and we repent, then that brings down grace. Humility brings down grace. And that comes when people have been struggling for a number of years. They begin to, to learn about themselves. But when you're on a wave, when God's given you his grace, the beginning, that's really not true experience of your sinfulness. That's just a little helping hand that God gives. And that's what Saint Felfan saying to this person. He says, you're not going to have this, this thing to be easy. Expecting prayer to continue on its own, you began to rush through prayers and carelessly left your thoughts to wander unchecked. So after a while, this person, because he wasn't feeling that Grace helping him, where now now you've got to start to pray on your own. He used to just read the prayers quickly. His thoughts scattered everywhere. From this, your attention scattered. Thought went into all directions and your prayer was no longer true. Once, twice, in such a careless manner and prayer disappeared. Always make a new beginning to establish uh, to, to establish prayer and plead with the Lord to help you. That is a great example of what happens to people when they first come to the church or if they've been in the church for a while and then they begin to experience grace, they think that it's going to stay. A lot of those people that I say who um, don't pray, a lot of them did experience some prayer in the beginning. They had some spiritual experience when they went overseas. They were softened by God's grace. They had warmth in their heart from God's grace. But unfortunately, that can't stay like that. God says, okay, I've helped you. Now it's time for you to struggle. You need to do things a little bit on your own, one can say, even though God's always there but on your own so that you can really learn about yourself. Self-knowledge comes when we start to do the commandments. When we start to do the commandments of God, then we see how hard it is and we begin to fall. And when we fall, we begin to see how weak we are we begin to see how corrupt we are. We can begin to see how passionate we are. 
we begin to see how proud we are, how evil we are, how off we are, how we lack love for people, how we lack faith in God, how we lack humility, how we love people to give us attention, how we get bothered when people put us down, how we get bothered if someone doesn't say hello to us properly. All these things are showing us our corrupt state and from this we learn humility if we repent over it. If we acknowledge this and say and, and pray to God and say, look at my sins, look and confess them of course, look at my um, passions, look at the way I am. See that, those words, look at the way, God forgive me, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. What, what happens there? That person is in a state of humility and when a person has humility, what happens? God's grace is pulled into that person's heart. That comes from experience. When you have experience of your sinfulness. The next section. Saint Theophan now goes on to speak about prayer from the heart. He says, you must always make an effort to pray so that prayer comes from the heart and it's not just thought by the mind and spoken by the tongue. Now we're going a little bit of detail. How our prayer should be. Most people pray from the mind. See? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's in the mind. Heavenly King, O Comforter, Spirit of Truth, in the mind. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name, in the mind. See? That's what's called mental prayer, just intellectual. And Saint Theophan and all the saints are saying, no, that's not how we should pray. We should pray, as he says here, so that prayer comes from the heart and it's not just thought by the mind and spoken by the tongue. We don't want to have our mouths moving. Words are coming out, but what's here doesn't connect with what's in the heart. So when we say, for example, uh, forgive us our, our, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, for example, in the Our Father, we're supposed to feel that in our heart at, as well, not just to say it with our mind. This is the problem that we all find, that we tend, all of us, tend to do more with the mind but not with the heart. Now, St. Theophan says, I won't hide the fact that, though once you prayed from the heart, it is hardly possible to pray that way constantly. Here we go again, what I said before. See, this person had an experience of prayer coming from the heart. And St. Theophan's telling him, that's not going to be all the time. That sometimes that happens with God's grace. Such prayer is given by God, for example, inspired by your guardian angel. Now, each Orthodox Christian at baptism receives a guardian angel. The problem with today is that uh, people have no relationship with their guardian angel. They don't even know that the guardian angel is present. They don't know that the guardian angel um, is when we sin, he moves away from us. 
that he weeps, that he prays for, for us to repent, etc. How do, can we form a relationship with our guardian angel? Which, by the way, we all, all of us, suffer from this horrible uh, trait of not having a relationship with our guardian angel by reading canons and akathas to the guardian angel, which is in the prayer books. For example, the prayer book here, at the back somewhere, it has a canon to the guardian angel. And in some other books, there's got a akathist. I don't know if this has got it. Canon of repentance, communion, somewhere here anyway. Ah, here we are. Canon to the guardian angel, which we're going to read some prayers later on. By reading the canon, you begin to learn how your relationship with the guardian angel should be. So, sometimes prayers can come easily because it could be our guardian angel helping us at times to encourage us. But Saint Theophan saying, don't expect this all the time. And this is what happens. People expect it all the time. They experience it once and like a spoiled kid, they go, mine. I'm going to have this all the time. And when they don't have it all the time, they get upset, they complain to God and leave the church, some people. Now, I'm going to give an example, which is a horrible example. I remember a person who came to the church, maybe around, how old was he, 17, 18, I can't remember. He came to the church and I'm pretty sure he experienced some time, some he had some experience of grace at times and the person believed it was going to go on and on and on forever. So what he would do is he would go to the church and he would hold his prayer rope so everyone can see, number one. That now you might say, but shouldn't, shouldn't we be... No, because it's not that the prayer rope is a sin, but it's the effect that you get by holding it in front of everyone because you're going to get proud because hardly no one holds it. If you go to a church where everyone's holding it, then it's okay. Then have it out. But if you go into a church where no one's having it and you're walking around like you're a Christmas tree with some decorations on you and everyone's looking at you, obviously then you're going to get proud. Anyway, so this person would go to the church, usually upstairs, on some of the churches they have upstairs, and he would get into a position like some which, which these people do a lot they want to get into a certain position to try and bring this experience I mean he didn't sit down like a Buddha but he actually he actually got down onto the railings had his prayer up so everyone can see and he would find a position put his legs in a way I don't know what he was doing up there and then he would then try to go into like a trance, to try and get back that experience. And I said to him, don't do that because you're going to fall into um, deception. And there he was at the service so everyone can see and trying to get this state of grace again that he must have experienced once or twice. What was the result? What was the result of that? And I'm not saying this for people to laugh. I'm saying it because it's... It, because it is one of the main things which happen to people, and this is why a lot of people 
fall away. What happened was that after a while, he couldn't, he couldn't even get it into this mechanical, because what he was doing was really was demonic. See, that's similar to these other people when they do meditations. They go like that, some hum, some say or some mantras, and they're going into a, a state where some spirit comes on them. And we know what spirit that is. This person wanted that. Because he wasn't getting it, slowly, 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 he gave up his prayer, he gave up his prayer. Then he rang up a friend of his who was in the church. And he says, and he said to the person, can you come to my place? I want to I wanna give you something. The person goes, okay. So the person went to his house and he saw at the door boxes, all these boxes. And the friend of his goes, what are all these boxes? And he goes, they're my prayer books, my lives of saints, they're my, all my spiritual books, my crosses, my prayer ropes, icons, etc. He goes, what do you want me to do with them? He goes, you can take them. You're either in it or you're not. He just left. He left, he left the church. He left everything. See? Because he believed that because he experienced once or twice like what St. Theophany is talking about here with these people, that it was going to be easy like that. No, it takes work. That's not how spiritual life is. And his example is really extreme. However, there are many more who, even if they do come to church, they might come a few times a year, or they might come sometimes, or they might even come every Sunday, but they don't pray. They can't pray. Because they tried to do this type of thing. So, Saint Theophan the Recluse says, It comes and goes. Prayer of the heart comes when one makes an effort. To those who do not make an effort, in other words, to those who don't try hard, it will not come ever. These people that I'm talking about, the only effort they made was to go into certain positions and try to go into some type of trance. That's, that's the effort that they made. That's not prayer. That's, that's demonic. We see that the Holy Fathers made extraordinary efforts in prayer. And by their struggles, they lit the warm spirit of prayer within themselves. See, they never got it easy. Some would say, oh, but they were saints. They were saints, but they had to struggle hard. Remember Saint Seraphim of Sarov, that God took his grace from him and he prayed 1,000 days and 1,000 nights on the rock so that he can get grace. Now usually for Christians who are struggling sincerely God takes the grace, sometimes he gives a little bit, etc. as a consolation so the person doesn't give up but the great saints like Saint Seraphim, he was given one can say nothing for three years around there if I remember right thousand days and thousand nights Saint Anthony I think the same thing he could not experience God's grace that he had for so many years after many years of struggle God took away the grace and he was tormented by demons etc and then when he was just about at his limit Christ appeared to him and St. Anthony says, where were you? He goes, I was always here, but I was looking at your struggle. 
I was looking at your struggle. So if, if these great saints lost grace for years, why then do we become so upset when we never even struggled anywhere near them? If when we lose grace, in other words. So he says, let me add, there is nothing more important than prayer. Therefore, diligent attention is necessary. In other words, hard work is necessary. Not these guru things, not these, these meditations and all these type of things. That's why a lot of people, people, uh, converts for example, they, some people that have gone around, they've gone to different religions. They might go to the Buddhists, they might go to India, go find some gurus, we've got a book on that. They go here, they go there, they come, even they even pass through orthodoxy. But they don't like orthodoxy too much. Why? Because with these other religions, you get experience straight away. You feel, supposedly, as they say, the you know, enlightenment, you feel peace, etc. But in orthodoxy, this comes with struggle, with suffering. Orthodoxy preaches that, like Christ went through Golgotha before he rose from the dead in glory, that's the, and he gave us that example, Christ is saying, the Orthodox Church is saying, they have that example, all the children of the Orthodox Church must go through the Golgotha, that is the sufferings of life, and then come to the glory of the resurrection. But they don't like that. And that's why they get mixed up with drugs, because drugs give them you know, experience. A lot of them went on to LSD. Now they take, I don't know what they take now, but they take all these different things because they want experience. Because a lot of people are spiritually dead and they want to feel. I can understand why they actually take these drugs or why they get involved with really uh, heavy sexual type of uh, experiences that they have because they want to feel because they're numb not that I'm saying that I agree with what they're doing I say I understand why they're doing it if you speak to them they'll tell you They're dead. But by saying that they're dead, I'm not putting them down because some of them haven't had the opportunity to find Christ and remember that God is always looking out for everyone, trying to bring everyone to be saved. How he does it, we don't know. It doesn't mean that because they take drugs or because they do all this, they will give less word than us, as I've said before, because we know the truth, and if we reject that truth, woe to us. A lot of them don't know the truth. So don't sit down and say, let's judge them, they're drug addicts, or they get involved with all types of sexual immorality, and say, no, no, 
what we should say is, I know the truth, I know what God commands because it's so clear in the Orthodox Church, and yet if I don't do it, they will be in a better place than me. As Christ says, he who knows more will be punished more. He who knows less will be punished less. Spiritual coldness, something very important. You have correctly determined that the enemy of our struggle for prayer and therefore our chief enemy is spiritual cooling. So Saint Theophan is writing to a person and saying you are correct that one of the biggest enemies in prayer when someone's trying to pray is spiritual coldness when the heart is cold, hard, where you don't feel. You don't feel your sins, you don't feel the presence of God, you don't feel love for anyone, etc. All these things is what's called spiritual cooling. And Saint Theophan says, oh, what a bitter and wretched state it is. How does he know? Obviously because he experienced it. As I said before, all the saints did, and he did too. They have to experience it, because that's how they learn humility. When, when the saints say, I'm the worst, I'm sinful, etc., etc., some people say, oh, they only say it. Yet we only say it because we're hypocrites. They, when they say it, they mean it. Why do they mean it? They mean it because they have the experience that without God's grace, they are nothing. They, they feel that with all their heart. They know that if God takes away his grace, that they can't do even one prostration. They can't even do one of the commandments. So he says, Oh, what a bitter and wretched state it is. But realise that not all decrease in the intensity, and that is in the enthusiasm and eagerness of zeal, for prayer is harmful cooling. Now he's saying that or because we might have a decrease in our, in our zeal, in our warmth towards prayer, etc., it doesn't mean that that is your fault. He says, some comes from weakness, from disease of the body, including, I, I add this, including mental problems. A lot of us have certain mental problems, some more, some less. That's also a problem which can cause a bit of trouble in our prayer life. Neither is bad, both will pass. In other words, even if we are physically not well, mentally not well, whatever, and we have this coldness, then it will pass. It will move on and we will receive once again easier days. Disastrous cooling, now he goes on to what type of coldness is bad, is caused by falling away from God's will. That is, when we don't do the commandments. When we willfully fall into sin, when we intentionally fall into sin, then that coldness that we receive is not anymore for the reasons that we said before, which is not our fault. This time, it is our fault because we're sinning. Committing sin willfully kills the spirit and cuts off spiritual life. This you must fear most of all, as fire and as death itself. Like people fear death in the sense that we fear death not to die and repent 
unrepentant and go to hell, as we fear fire, that's how he says we should fear sin, because sin cuts us off from God. Committing sin willfully is caused by loss of fear of God and by inattention to one's spiritual life, when we're not paying attention to our spiritual life. In other words, when we're not struggling. Therefore, sorry, these then you must watch for in order to avoid such a terrible evil. So we've got two types of spiritual cooling. One, when we've got physical, mental ailments. Two, when we sin. The first one is beyond us. We just patiently, we, we, we await for God's help. We pray in whatever way we can, even if we're cold. But the second one is when we sin. And we sin all the time. So most of the time that happens. That we lose grace because of our sins. Saint Anatoly of Optina states, quote, The prayer has ceased. He now he's writing to someone. The prayer has ceased. Of, co- of course there is a reason for this, either self-opinion or judging others. The main thing is that we be humble. So even Staritz Anatoly there, Elder Anatoly of Optina, Russian saint, says that when prayer stops in us, it can come from self-opinion. Self-opinion is when we're full of ourselves, when we love ourselves, when we want our, our opinion always to be heard and no one else's. We don't listen to anyone else. Or when we judge others. The main thing is that we be humble. What do you mean the main thing? The main thing is if we want our prayer, if we want to have a prayer life, we must be humble. God gives grace to the humble and takes away his grace from the proud. When we're proud, we lose grace. When we humble ourselves, we have grace. I'll give you an example, which I, I didn't bring, but it's a beautiful example. I love it so much, this example. I love so many examples, but... That's just another one. So we have, I can't remember properly, I have to just, I should, have, I should have brought it, I was going to bring it, I'll just get the basic thing. There was a, a priest, I think, and, or a deacon, doesn't really matter, and he had a, a passion of drinking, so he, he would get drunk. And uh, people didn't like him because of the fact that he would even go to serve in some ways intoxicated. He wasn't proper, like a lot of times he wasn't proper when he would go to serve. And uh, one day there was some eldress, I think, that was in the church and she noticed one day during the liturgy, she noticed the priest or deacon who usually was, get, used to get drunk and three other priests who would prepare themselves, of course, in a better way. I think those priests probably didn't like him either. So she noticed that during the liturgy, the, the other three that were serving with this person, their faces were a bit dark. And, he, and she noticed that the face of the, of the person who had the vice, who had this weakness of drinking that his face was bright. And she said, the mysteries of God. How can a person who was falling into this horrible sin 
and even a clergyman have a bright face during the service and the other ones who didn't have these vices had a dark face. Was, would anyone like to offer um, an explanation? Saint John of the Ladder said that even the greatest of saints were allowed by God to have some vices, to have some passion to humble them. Someone gave to me yesterday or the day before uh, some little life of someone, which I can't remember now. But uh, there was one, I think it was... uh, some saint in, that lived in Greece uh, just last century, I think. Maybe the century before, I can't remember. Anyway, he was a very holy person. He was a priest monk. And he would serve often, help the poor. He was, uh, he was a holy person. He would serve just about everyday liturgy. But every few years, for some reason he would go into some type of nervous disorder. He would get some type of a nervous disorder, some sickness, I don't know what it was, that he would become unapproachable, uh, angry. It wasn't a good sight. It was actually quite humiliating for him that he would fall into this thing. And then that was every about three years and it started to happen every year that he would fall into some type of mental nervous disorder and um, some say that they go oh he did it on purpose to be humble no no no. it was allowed by God for his humility so we can see someone sinning and we can judge them but the Holy Fathers say you're looking and you're judging them but you don't know whether that Later on in the night, that person will go and pray and ask God for forgiveness. So the same with this drunken priest, the deacon, etc. That he had a vice, because alcohol is very powerful, so obviously whatever happened, he had that vice. But he was struggling to stop, maybe... He had the potential to get drunk every day and maybe he would get drunk every three or four days or every week. It doesn't matter, he still got drunk. But the point is that that he was struggling and that he was repenting when he would fall. And because of that, because he had humility, like the saint that I was talking about with the nervous disorder and the other saints who had certain problems, uh, passions, that because he had humility... God would give grace. See, the mysteries of God. We think that it's someone who's perfect. Like Mary MacKillop. See, she was perfect, one can say. Because when, when, you, when you read her life and when they talk about her, as they said themselves, that they had to study her life to see if she had any faults. And she didn't have any faults. That's why they made her a saint. See? But that's quite different to orthodox, how the orthodox look at someone. 
And there was a priest here in Australia who had, I think I've mentioned this before, who had a similar problem. I think from what I, what I recall that he had some type of problem with the lungs or something like that. So I think the only relief that he could find that he had to drink some alcohol somehow, I don't know exactly how it works, but from drinking the alcohol, he became alcoholic. And often some of his parishioners would find him in the street, on the footpath or in the gutter. And yet, and yet, it can be said that he probably was one of the holiest clergymen in Australia at the time because he was a man of prayer and because he was struggling and because he was humbled and because he was humbled, God would give him more grace, like I said in the last talk with St. Paul, who also was given a thorn in the flesh. People don't know what it is. What's this thorn in the flesh? Some say it was a stomach problem, maybe demonic temptation, maybe some other sicknesses, whatever it was, it was bothering him to the point that he couldn't do his work, as he said properly, and then he prayed three times for it to go away, and God said to him that in your weakness you are made strong. So in our weakness we are made strong. These are the mysteries of God. So don't have a Catholic understanding or a Protestant understanding of what is pleasing to God and what is not. What is pleasing to God is a contrite and humble heart God will not despise. A person who has sorrow in his heart for his sins, a person who repents, a person who goes to confession often, a person who struggles with his passion, that is a saint. Saint Anatoly continues and says, Prayer can cease because of serious sins or if someone does not repent and is not watchful over himself. So when we sin, our prayer stops. When we don't ask forgiveness from people, when we've offended wife or husband and we want to go and pray, God won't listen to the prayers because you've caused someone grief. As for those times when a cool... Now we go back to Saint um, Theophan the Recluse. As for those times when a cooling down comes involuntarily due to sickness or weakness of body, hold it in your mind and make it a rule never to let cooling steal away your zeal for prayer. When this happens, one principle applies. Endure without changing your set rule, even if it's completely without feeling. Such a wonderful thing, this here. He's saying, when coldness comes to us, when we don't feel like praying, when we don't feel prayer, when it comes, make it a rule. The rule is you still do, you still do your prayers. Doesn't matter how dead you feel. Doesn't matter how much you can't concentrate. Just do them, he says. That's the rule. So, for example, if your prayer rule is doing the morning prayers and you're reading the morning prayers and your mind is like, it's, it's like your head has been taken off and put into a washing machine and then spent, spun dry and put back on. That's how you feel sometimes when you pray. You can't concentrate on anything. Just keep on going. What people do goes, oh, I don't feel like it. I'll just put it away. I just there's no point. If you if your, if your prayer rules doing prostrations, then you do them. If you feel nothing, keep on doing them. If your prayer rules doing prayer rope, you keep on doing it. You feel nothing, keep on going. That's what Saint Theophan says. That's the secret. 
And actually, those prayers sometimes are more valuable to God than other prayers. Why? Because God is seeing that you are trying, even though you are dead as, and you're still trying, then a lot of times you can receive more grace because of that. Remember I said to you once, um, this person said to me that he went to the church, he went to a Kentland monastery up there where the nuns are, the Russian monastery, and he says, and I felt... And he says, I felt so much in that church. It was such a beautiful service. And he goes, and I really felt, I don't know, he says, I felt God's presence. It's something along those lines. And I said to him, it doesn't mean that I'm clairvoyant, as I know from spiritual law. I said to him, you know, in the morning when you, when you woke up, did you, did you have zeal to go to church? He goes, oh, no, I, just, I, was, I, couldn't, I just didn't feel like it at all. I wanted to go back to bed. I had no zeal at all to go to church. I said, what did you do? He goes, I forced myself. I really forced myself to go to church, even though I, didn't, I actually didn't feel like it at all. I said, that's why you felt the grace. So that's the same here. When people force themselves, it might be just at the end, they might even have even five seconds of pure prayer. What does pure prayer mean? When, the, when our mind and our heart unite, when we feel something and we might say, after doing all that prayer, after we see that we're dead, after we see that we've got such a lack of faith, such a lack of love for God that we can't even repent, and all of a sudden out of our heart comes, oh God, forgive me. That's it. Just that. Just those few words. But that is where the mind unites with the heart. You know the words, it, they're together. That's pure prayer, and that might come. But that came because you actually struggled through the deadness. But most people don't do that, and they just give up. That's how I don't feel like it. Can I confess something, which I, you know, I, I usually don't like saying things, but when I have to do the service, there are times when... I don't know, sometimes it could be from physical sickness, sometimes it could be from my own spiritual state, not in a good state, but it all just can happen like that, whereby I'm serving and I cannot concentrate on one word. One word, just sometimes nothing. And other times it might be a bit easier and sometimes it's dead just about right through. So what's the answer to that? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If that can happen to the priest, whose job is to pray every day, then why is it such a big deal if it happens to ordinary people, like to lay people? Why do we get so shocked? Why do we say, oh, what's going to happen? I don't feel like it. And then just say, oh, and just give it all up. So he says here, endure without changing your set rule, even if it's completely without feeling. Have the assurance, in other words, have the faith that this dry performance of deeds, even though that it's dry, you, while you're doing it, it's dry, will soon bring back life and warmth to your prayer. For those who endure patiently, cold feelings pass and the usual warm and heart for zeal and the enthusiasm, etc., quickly returns, which is what I said before. 
Are there any questions on that particular, what I just said? How do you discern that the prayer is from the heart and not just from the mind? When you feel the words, and this will not come straight away, it's going to be coming. Yes, Joachim, did you have a question? You put your hand up? No? Short prayers. And you write that in the midst of the day, in the midst of your daily routine and work and association with others, there is little remembrance of God. How many people complain about that? They say to me, I, when I go to university, I don't think of God, I don't feel, I can't pray. When I go to work, when I'm in the train, when I'm driving, when I'm, when I'm doing my everyday thing. Of course, if they're watching television um, indiscriminately, well, there's not going to be any remembrance of God, so that one there is already answered. But um, let's just say in our everyday routine, this person saying, I don't have remembrance of God. We must continue to hold our prayerful attention on God throughout the day, St. Theophan saying. To support our attention, I've said more than once, remember God through a briefly worded prayer. So his answer to this person who says that he can't remember God during the day because he's involved with other people and things like that, everyday things, he says, but you have to remember God during the day. But she says you have to use a little prayer. Let's see what he means. Zealous Christians have a certain technique that they use to continuously remember God more firmly. It is the constant repetition of a short prayer, either Lord have mercy or Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on me, which we call the Jesus prayer. Or be, um, he says, be persistent in, in addressing God, the Theotokos, your guardian angel. For example, now I, I added these, I think. Yep, I added these. Some examples of little prayers. Most holy Theotokos, save me a sinner. That's a short prayer. We can say that during the day. Lord Jesus Christ, through the Theotokos, have, have mercy on me a sinner. Or, most holy Theotokos, pray for me now and at the hour of my death. Um, saint so-and-so, pray to God for me. It can be your, it can be your Slava saint, it, if you're Serbian. It can be your baptismal saint. It can be a saint that you're reading. It can be a saint that you feel close to. You know, it might be St. George that, you, that helps you in your life. St. George, pray to God for me. You can say that during the day. St. George, pray to God for me. Or, O holy angel, my guardian, intercede in my behalf. And then one of the saints say, how fitting is this frequent short prayer? Which is a really wonderful way to end off these little short prayers. This saint saying, the following prayer is so great. Here it is. By whatever means, save me. By whatever means, in other words, Lord, by whatever means, you save me. Because I can't save myself. You work it out to save me. And that's a very powerful short prayer as well. So we go to the next part. And this is coming to your answer now, George, on your question. Be encouraged. Do you feel encouraged? Good. Be encouraged. Take up prayer more readily and continue without interruptions and you will soon achieve your desired goal. Soon, remembrance of God will be established and with it inner peace. I say soon, not now. It doesn't mean in a day or two. I come to the church, I start to pray, I'm going to learn how to pray. Let's see what he says. Months may be required, sometimes even years. He says, don't expect to learn to pray 
in one or two days. He says it can take months, even years. Years it can take. And remember that. If you don't learn much from today, remember that. It can take years until one starts to have us to learn to pray someone. But we live in a time of immediate. Immediate means what? See? Immediate. I'll tell you. Here. What's in this little box? When I, when I get a headache, I take a Panadol. See? Immediate. It's imme- they've even got some which say immediate relief as well. So you've got immediate. What else? When we go to a shop and we like something, what do we get out? The fantastic plastic, don't we? We take out the credit cards. Immediate. We want something, we go to the internet. We, go, we want something, we watch a video, or DVD, whatever they're called. It's everything today is aimed at immediate. It's what Saints Father Seraphim Rose calls like the me generation, the Coca-Cola generation. You feel like a drink, you go and get one. See, back in my days, a lot of shops were shut. No, they're not shut anymore. See, immediate. You come out of church, what can we do now? Let's go to Myers and go and shop. Or let's go to um, Woolies and get some shopping. See, in our days, that was all shut. So everything today is aimed at whatever you want, whenever you want. And that's the same as spiritual life. People come to spiritual life, haven't learnt that. Children say, I want a video game. I want that toy. I want this. I want that. So we're teaching our children that whatever they want, they will get immediately. Those children, when they grow up, find it very hard to lead spiritual lives because they come and they go, okay, what's it say here? That we learn to pray and we pray and we feel this, this and that. So they come and they say... I don't feel that. When I was young, I wanted a Barbie doll. I got it, they would say. When I wanted this, I got it. Spiritual life's not like that. And that's why today's Western society, it's difficult. See, people that were brought up in Russia and Serbia, some Greece from the old days, etc., they never had much. See? So therefore... And that shows why, in the, like, usually they're those people, the ones that come to the talks, um, they understand the waiting. They understand that they can't have things straight away. But the younger generation, the internet generation, the Coca-Cola generation, the Xbox generation, and the every other stupidity in the world generation, they want it straight away, therefore they can't really... Spiritual life is pretty hard for them. So, is it possible to pray without ceasing? Because we know St. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When St. Paul speaks, it means Christ is speaking. In other words, what St. Paul says is what God says. He says it here, this is the will of God. Pray without ceasing. Now, some people come along, some theologians or some even some priests, they go, oh, that's for monks. He's referring to monks, even though there was no monks in his times. And he's referring to nuns. There was no nuns in his time either. This is first epistle to the Thessalonians. 
Where's that? Thessalonica. He's writing to them. So the only thing I can think of is Thessalonica was one big gigantic monastery. And there was all monks and nuns everywhere. And St. Paul says to them, pray without ceasing. But that's not what they were. They were people that had shops, were going to school, were families, etc., etc. He's saying to them, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Some priests even say things like that. Go on, Anna. You can't, you can't pray without ceasing. That's for the monks, etc., etc. Well, let's have a look. Let's see what St. Vasunufius of Optinus says. He says, in order to always have the memory of God, there is the Jesus prayer. And another father, Father John, which I've got here, this excellent book, which I've got a whole box of, um, at the back, Christ is in our midst, a Russian elder, Father John, and he writes these epistles to people. And um, some some are to monastics, but most of them are to people in the world. And that book... Christ in Amidst, um, Letters from a Russian Monk. And this is produced by St. Vladimir Seminary Press. This book is excellent because it gives such beautiful advice, as you will notice tonight. Here's one of his letters, two letters actually. Letters 37 and and 87 combined. He says, For you living in the world, so he's writing to people in the world, it is very difficult to maintain unceasing prayer. The world makes its own demands, work, rushing around and care. It cannot be otherwise. If with all this you keep God in mind, that is enough. The Holy Fathers consider prayer and remembering God as the same thing. They counted every good deed as prayer. For example, good conversation, remembrance of God, patience in the face of slander, um, when you're reproached, when someone tells you off, to take that. Disrespect, when someone um, disrespects you, when someone makes fun of you, etc. In other words, Father John here, Elder John, is saying that prayer without ceasing, we think that prayer means that we are doing these formal prayers. or that. But he's saying here that the Holy Fathers are saying that even when you do good deeds, which I think I said this years ago, even when you do good deeds, it's still prayer. When a woman is taking care of her children all day and takes care of all their needs, that's still prayer. When you're at work and you're concentrating on how you're dealing with people, that you're concentrating and say, oh, look, that person's doing that. I feel like I'm going to judge that. I'm not going to judge, I'm going to think, that's prayer. When we fall into sin and we say, what have I done? That's prayer, when we've got some pain. When we're taking care of a sick person, that's prayer. When we are uh, persecuted, when we are slandered, when people say lies about us and we take it, that's prayer. So this is what St. Paul means when he says pray without ceasing. In other words, it's everything to do with God. And as I said earlier on in the talk, everything we do, is spiritual life. Everything we do, even if we're talking to an unbeliever, it's still spiritual life because God is looking how you're speaking to that person. How are you dealing with that person? How do you deal with your members of your family or at work, etc.? So that is very important. 
the holy fathers counted every good deed as prayer when we try to do the commandments of christ it's also prayer thinking about whether we're going to be saved that's prayer but also during the day we can say lord have mercy and all those other short prayers that i said now one person asked me a while ago i think it was um valentina maybe said to me but if you're working on some mental job on the computer, at work, etc., how can you be remembering God at that time when you're focused on the, um, on the project? Well, I always say that sometimes that is, that, that is obviously difficult, but before you start a job, you always ask God for help. When you're finding difficulties during the time when you're doing something, um, you know, you ask God for help. When during the time that you're doing a, a, a project or something that you're doing and a proud thought comes and says, I'm going to get really good marks for this, you can say, oh, look, look at the pride that I've got. That's prayer because you're repenting. You're taking note of what, how you feel. When you get irritated during the time that you're working on a mental job or anything else and you get angry and you say, well, it's not working out, and then you catch yourself out and say, look, I'm, why am I getting angry? All these things are prayer. Okay, well, we have... Um, got so many pages here and I've gone... I'm actually up to page six. That's not, that's not very good, is it? But we've also got next month. So what we'll do is we'll have a break. Oh, yeah, the sandwiches and all those type of things. And then we will return in around 10 minutes and I'll advertise my books. Later on, I'll tell you about the books. If you are going, which you're free to do, you can take one icon there, which is today, which for today. I ordered these books and they just came. And now, well, a lot of new books, but um, these ones are two books. This one's the Triodion. It's um, part of a set, but that doesn't matter. They've got the 12 volumes of Lives of Saints, which we're also going to get. We've got two examples at the back. And then the other two volumes is the Triodion and the Pentecostarian. It's the great Senexaristis of the Orthodox Church, which is produced by Holy Apostles Convent at Colorado, Domitian Skeet. So... Uh, translated from the Greek. Now, the, the reason why these books are good is because now we're coming up to Lent. That's called the Triodion period. And even before Lent actually starts, there's a few weeks before. The publican and Pharisee, the prodigal son, and judgment, etc. Then, it, So all this is to do with Lent and the three weeks or four weeks before. It goes through every single feast day and explains what it is according to the fathers. So, if you're like me, you would like to know as you're going through the Lenten period, what is the, what, what is the first Saturday of Lent? Why do we do the koliva, the wheat? What's Sunday of Orthodoxy? What's the Sunday of Gregory Palamas? 
What's the Sunday of the cross? Why do we have it in the middle of Lent? And all these type of things. And they'll talk about why we do certain commemorations for the dead during Lent. Uh, it's got Saturday before Meat Fair Sunday, etc. That whole book is dedicated to the Triodion, which takes you up to Great Saturday. Then, once we finish Great Saturday and go from Pascha on to Pentecost, we go on to what's called the next period in the Orthodox Church, which is called the Pentecostarian period. That then takes us from the Sunday of Pascha, and it goes through the Monday and Tuesday of Bright Week, and then it goes through the Myrrhbearers and the fourth Sunday of Pascha, which is you know, dedicated to all different things. And this takes us right up to Sol Saturday before Pentecost. Then it takes us up to Pentecost itself, the whole week of Pentecost. And if I remember right, I think it takes us up to All Saints, which is the week after Pentecost. Now, as I said, I'm saying it on the talk because people overseas, I want them to know about them. They are incredibly valuable and they're very good so that when you're going through these weeks, you follow it. So you become, you understand. You don't take it to church. It's not the service. There's a different book, which is the service of Pentecost and Lenten Triodion. That's the actual services, which are beautiful and soft. We haven't got them. These are explanations according to the Fathers of Everything. They are very, very good. So those are those two books are there. And um, I brought a few of them. And um, I've also got some Lives of Saints, but maybe I'll explain them next time. New sets of Lives of Saints. Okay, George said that in the ancient days, you come up and said to me... The early Christians, when they used to greet each other, instead of saying, how are you, how's your week or your health, they used to say to each other, how is your prayer coming along? How's your prayer life? I think it's also um, when I would ring up overseas to monasteries or when you go over to monasteries and that spiritual people, so they would say, um, how is the struggle going? How is the struggle? Which means the same thing. When we say struggle, the main struggle is prayer. Now, in Greek, we have our Greeks over here. What's by Awana? How do you say it? Awanas. Awanas, yeah. So how is the struggle going? That's all they would say. How Right? Um, Meaning that prayer is very important. That's it. So that, that's a very good point that um, the Christians, not just early Christians, even spiritual Christians now, which they're not many, but they actually say, how is your struggle going? And when they used to say to me when I first came to the church, I kind of, because I, I didn't know... Why I used to bring up a particular abbot in Greece often, and he would say all the time, How's your struggle going? How's your struggle going? And only after a few years I understood that that's what he was, that's all he cared about. How is your struggle going? How's your spiritual struggle going? Because that's the most important, because as we read earlier on, what's the point in asking, How's school? How's this? How's that? How's your work? How's your family? Because when you've got prayer, everything else is answered. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. So the saints knew that the main thing is, is to be seeking the kingdom of heaven, not to be 
struggling for salvation. And when you're doing that, then everything else will be granted. So we go on to the next section, and there's uh, another point, but we'll come to that later. Prayer rule, using the prayer book. St. Theophan continues and says, You ask about a prayer rule. Yes, because of our weakness, it is proper to have a prayer rule. On the one hand, it controls excessive zeal, enthusiasm in other words, when, and on the other hand, it protects us from laziness. Now, what's a prayer rule? A prayer rule is when you've got a certain thing that you say I'm going to do in the morning and a certain thing you're going to do in the night. That's a prayer rule. A set time or a set number of prayers, etc. That helps a person not to become, as I was discussing with our new folk at the back, where you become too excessive, where you just start to lose yourself or want to do too much. Or it can also lead to, if you haven't got a set thing that you're working at, where you just all of a sudden leave everything and stop praying altogether. So prayer rules are very important. So the great men of prayer had a prayer rule and, and kept to it. They would always begin with established prayers, meaning set prayers. Then, and then, if spiritual prayer came, they would put the established prayers aside. If these great men of prayer needed a prayer rule, then we need one even more. Without formal prayers, we would not know how to pray correctly in the first place. Without them, we would be left entirely without prayer. So... I'll explain. Say, for example, you've got your prayer book and you're doing, he said that, that you do your morning prayers or your night prayers, and as you're reading it, suddenly, he says, you start to have what's called spiritual prayer. What's spiritual prayer? That's when grace comes, when grace helps you, where, you're, where it becomes easy to pray. And at that time, he said, the Father's or the people of prayer would close the book and begin to pray of their own, um, which is very rare, uh, because it was at that time that grace was visiting the person. Now, he said, without formal prayers, how would we know how to pray in the first place? So if you're not reading your morning prayers, how would you know what to say? Like, how would you address the mother of God? How would you address your guardian angel? I'm, I'm going to come to that now. I'm going to read some examples. This here is um, the prayer book, the Jordanville prayer book, which is produced by Holy Trinity Monastery in New York, Jordanville. And the reason why I like this book is because it's got the morning prayers and the night prayers. Some other books don't have some, but they've got a few. <clears throat> These prayers are very, very um, important. So let's see what we come to the next section, which says, Beware of too many prayers. However, one does not have to do many prayers. It's better to perform a small number of prayers properly than to hurry through a large number of prayers. It's hard to keep from rushing when, in our eagerness to pray, we have gathered more prayers than we can handle, it is difficult to maintain heartful prayer when there are too many prayers to do. So some people set too much. They might have 15 prayers to do, which might not be proper for them, and they're trying to finish them, and instead of concentrating, they're going really quick, not, not doing the right thing. And he says here, better, and this is what the Holy Father says well, the Holy Father says, I prefer someone 
say, the Holy Fathers would say, I prefer someone who prays, who has a certain number of prayers, even just a few, where they pray properly, but constantly, every day, whatever they're doing, than someone who has a lot and can't take them, it's too overburdening, and they collapse, and they just, at the end, they don't do anything. Remember the person I said years ago that said to me, um, he came up to me and he said, um, last night I did 15 akathists. I said, I've never done 15 akathists, even in a week. He said, you're, you're, um, you're one of the greatest I've ever met, that if you can do so many akathists in one night. And even though I was being a bit sarcastic, trying to get my point across, um, he was smiling, he was actually happy because he thought I was praising him. So why do you have to do 15 akathists, I said. Why is it important to do 15 akathists? An akathist can take up to about 20 minutes to half an hour each. If he did 15 of them, he must have been there for 15 times um, point, about seven and a half hours. Dangerous, you see. So, I'll say it again. The Holy Fathers prefer someone who does a few prayers with their heart, properly and constantly, every day. With regard to your prayer rule, arrange it. This is now from Christ in our midst, the other book, Elder John. He says in letter 7, With regard to your prayer rule, arrange it yourself, but in such a way that meaning is not lost for the sake of completing the rule. Try to pray attentively. Is it not better to shorten it than to complete in agitation and be a slave to the rule? What he's saying here is that some people think that the aim of the game, if we can say it like that, is that they're going to complete their prayer rule. That they're going to just complete it, and that's the main thing. He's saying, no, the main thing is, is that you pray for meaning. Not just say, okay, I'm going to do six morning prayers every morning. And then you say, okay, my goal is to finish those six prayers, and you start praying. He says, no, just pray properly, concentrating, and getting the meaning. He says, isn't it better? Is it not better to shorten your prayer rule than to complete it in agitation and be a slave to the rule? Now, what happens if you have a set time that you might do 15 minutes a day, but something happened in the morning, something, I don't know, you woke up late, or if you're married, you might have some problem with the children, it could be a thing, and all you've got left is five minutes. What do people do? They say, okay, I've got to do six prayers in the five minutes because that's my prayer rule, six prayers. No, he says better to cut it down for that day, shorten it, do a couple with feeling rather than going um, 100 miles per hour there trying to say your six prayers in five minutes, which usually takes you 15 minutes, for example. Morning and evening prayers. For you, it is quite adequate, says St. Theophan the Recluse, to complete the morning and evening prayers as found in the prayer book. I always, myself personally, I advise people to read morning and night prayers, especially when you first come to the church, because from reading those prayers, you learn how to pray. Always strive to complete them with as much attention and feeling as possible. Possible. 
St. Ignatius Branchinov writes, especially helpful in holding the attention during prayer, is an extremely unhurried pronunciation of the words of the prayer. Pronounce the words without hurrying so that the mind may quite easily stay enclosed in the words of the prayer. So that your mind is capturing the words of the prayer and feeling it. And not slip away for a single word. Say the words in an audible voice, that's why I put this in, when you pray alone. This also helps to hold the attention. Don't pray in your mind. So in other words, when you're doing the prayers, you don't say it in your mind. Like that, you know, as I'm reading, I'm reading now. There's no, say it so that you can hear your own voice. Enlighten mine eyes, O Christ God, lest at any time I sleep unto death, lest at any time my enemy say I have prevailed against him. So you've got to do it slowly, concentrating, loud to a certain extent. Even if you have to whisper because you've got other people in the house, you don't wake other people up um, at the expense of you doing your prayers. If that's the way, you whisper it, at least so that your ear ears can hear your own voice and by doing that it helps concentrate people have said and i've noticed it myself sometimes when you're tired you kind of slip slip away and then you start to you just catch yourself that you're actually praying you're saying you're reading in your mind and what happens then is that you can't focus properly but when you say it loud it's easier to focus so we learned something try to pray attentively yep we've said that so um, St. Ignatius continues here, pronounce the words without hurrying so that the mind may quite easily stay enclosed in the words of the prayer and not slip away from, from a single word. Say the words in an audible voice when you pray alone. This also helps to hold the attention. In church, because he says it alone, you don't do that in church. Nothing irritates me more when I'm doing a service, when I hear... It really makes me nervous. Sometimes I think of this mosquito in my ear. Like just you know, just don't you don't speak in church. Studying the prayers outside of the prayer rule. This is important. To do this successfully, make an effort in your spare time to read them with extra care, attention and feelings so that when you are at prayer, you'll be familiar with the holy thoughts and feelings contained in them. Praying does not mean repeating a certain number of words of prayer. Praying is absorbing and fully understanding the contents of the prayers within ourselves so that they flow as if out from our mind and heart. So I have here some examples of the morning prayers and some examples of the night of the evening prayers. Now, Saint Theophan is saying, and this is true, very, very true, read the prayers outside of the prayer time. Like you read a spiritual book. Sit down and familiarize yourself with what you read, because while you're in your prayer and you're reading, sometimes if you're not actually familiar with what you're reading, you kind of misses out. So what you you know you look at it. So for example, Prayer 1 in the morning uh, prayers of St. Macarius the Great. So you read it. So you, you, know, you take it and you read it like, a, like you would a spiritual book. It says, O God, 
Cleanse me a sinner, for I've never done anything good in thy sight. You stop, think about that. I've never done anything good in thy sight. But deliver me from the evil one, and let thy will be done in me, that I may open my unworthy mouth without condemnation and praise thy holy name. You got to now, or because I read that once, doesn't mean that I've actually had time to absorb it. So what we do is, in our spare time, is we read it and read it slowly, and think about it. And I like this one here: I have never done anything good in thy sight. See, by reading these prayers, we learn: oh, is that the attitude? I thought that God was pleased with me, but here it says, I have never done anything good in thy sight. So what St. Macarius the Great, who wrote these prayers, says that a, spirit, a Christian's attitude should be that we don't do anything which is worth um, proper in God's sight. Why? Because a lot of what we do is defiled by vainglory and pride and laziness, etc. But deliver me from the evil one, so we think about that in our, in our spare time and say, deliver me from the evil. And this is the first prayer you read when you wake up after you've done the introductory prayers. We're asking that God deliver us from the evil one and not like the Protestants say, deliver us from evil, like they deny that the existence of the devil. And let thy will be done in me. And let thy will be done in me. That my life, whatever I do, is your will, that I may open my unworthy mouth without condemnation. See that? We think of ourselves, instead of being proud and saying, when I pray, God is pleased with me, here the saint is saying that when we open our mouth, that we are, it's, our mouth is defiled, that, we are, that our mouth is unworthy, and that when we open it, let it not, even though we're praying to God, let us let it not be for our condemnation because we're praying with a dead heart or we're praying with pride or vainglory or we've, we haven't forgiven someone, etc. So it's saying, or because someone's opening their mouth and praying to God, it doesn't mean that God is accepting that and that we could be condemned for that. And praise the holy name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and to the ages of ages. Amen. Then this prayer 10 to the most holy Theotokos, again, morning prayers. So let's see. How would someone who just comes to the church know how to pray to the Mother of God? Where do we get the ideas from? How do we know? By reading the prayers. O my most holy Lady Theotokos, through thy holy and all-powerful prayers, banish from me thy lowly and wretched servant, despondency. Now, despondency means like depression, spiritual, um, spiritual, yeah, like spiritual depression where, you know, even um, the mental type of thing. Forgetfulness. See, when I read these years ago, I go, oh, is forgetfulness a sin? Because people would say, did you remember to do that? Oh, I forgot. And people get upset. And people go, well, I forgot. But that's not, that, that's not the point. Forgetfulness is also a sin. We have to force ourselves to remember things that we have to remember. And not just say, oh, I forgot. Folly. Carelessness. 
and all filthy, evil, and blasphemous thoughts from my wretched heart and my darkened mind. See how the, how the saints say we should consider ourselves as darkened, that our minds are darkened. The saints actually felt that their minds were darkened without the grace of God and quench the flame of my passions. In other words, help me to be rid of the passions, for I am poor and wretched and deliver me from many cruel memories and deeds. So often it comes back to us some evil things that we've done and sometimes these things either give us hopelessness, which is demonic, or if they're sexual in nature, the saints say you should never ponder. You can think about other sins that you've done to help you to keep humble, but the saints say don't bring to remembrance if they are sexual because they can bring up the passions again and you can have you can fall again to the same ones that you fell, even if it was 20, 30 years ago. So that's why it says cruel memories and deeds. So you read these slowly. The guardian angel, I read that, and it says, A holy angel that standeth by my wretched soul. So by reading the prayer, we actually look at that and say, Oh, so my angel stands by me, and my wretched soul, and my passionate life. Forsake not me a sinner, nor shrink from me because of my intemperance. Intemperance means lack of... See, for example, when I read these years ago, um, I didn't even know what intemperance was. So I would look it up in the dictionary. You can't be praying and every so often go into your electronic dictionary or go into your physical dictionary. You can't do that. You just leave it. You just pray. If you don't know words what you're praying, just leave it alone. Just keep on going and later on you can go and look them up. See, that, that's disruption. That's why the saints say, familiarise yourself with these words. So if that's, here's another one. Give no place for the cunning demon to master me through the violence of my mortal body. Strengthen my poor and feeble hand and guide me in the way of salvation. So we're asking the guardian angel to take us by the hand and guide us to salvation, he, to help us to be saved. Yea, O holy angel of God, guardian protector of my wretched soul and body, forgive me all in where I have offended thee, all the days of my life, because we have sins that we've done in the past that we haven't even repented about. And if I have sinned during the past night, because it's in the morning, protect me during the present day. And, and because during the night we speak and sin through dreams and things like that. And guard me from every temptation of the enemy that I may not anger God by any sin and pray to the Lord for me that he may establish me in his fear and show me his servant to be worthy of his goodness. I mean... By reading that every day and studying it outside of time in the beginning, especially looking up words, if you're not sure what they mean, you can write them on top, like I did here. See? Intemperance. I looked it up. Lack of self-control. And over here, um, folly, but unfortunately, folly is when, I think, like, like silliness or something, but I can't actually read what I wrote. Oh, here, I said say here. Silliness. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so you write them down. Now, in the evening, there are other um, prayers which are wonderful. I said, oh, just in case I go through them, I better look up some of these words because even though I've been in the church for so many years, still there's some that I don't know. Look at all the things I have to look up. But you don't look them up while you're praying. You look them up in your spare time to make sure that you know. Indolence, 
Well, that, that I know, but when I first started reading these, I never knew what they were. It means laziness. Extortion. To obtain by threat and force anything from someone else. There's so many words. Some words I can't even pronounce. Um, I'm not used to them. Mercenariness or something. To do something for gain. I've got mercenary um, soldiers that they go and for uh, money, go and fight. Some countries hire them. But, um, but we also, we only help people if we're going to get something out of it. As Christians, we should also help people, you know, without expecting something in return. So it says here, I confess to thee, my Lord and God and Creator, in one holy trinity, glorifying worship to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all my sins which I've committed in all the days of my life and every hour and present time in the past day and night, by deed, word, or thought. And then the saint who wrote this, he writes, gluttony, when we eat too much, drunkenness, secret eating, idle talking, despondency, indolence, which is laziness, contradiction. See, if you don't read the prayers, how would you know? Oh, contradiction. So when someone's talking to me, I go, no, 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 it's that, it's that, it's that, it's continual. And even if you're correct, it's not becoming for a Christian to actually argue and contradict all the time when a person is speaking, you can just say your opinion and leave it at that. Instead, people like fighting, arguing, disobedience, slandering, condemning, negligence, self-love, jealousy, anger, remembrance of wrongs. See, that, that's a good one. Hatred, bribery, and by all my senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, and by the rest of my sins of the soul together with the bodily, through which I have angered thee, my God and creator, and dealt unjustly with my neighbour. Sorrow for thee, I stand guilty before thee, my God, but I have the will to repent. Only help me, O Lord, my God, with tears, I humbly entreat thee. Forgive my past sins through thy compassion, and absolve me from all these which I have said in thy presence, for thou art good and the lover of mankind. Then we go through St. John Chrysostom, um, wonderful prayers there. Prayer 3 in the night to the Holy Spirit, a whole prayer there. Prayer to the Mother of God, that's another morning one. Etc. Well, I can't go through all of them, but um, there's one here to the Mother of God. It says, um, O bearer of the healer. You can think about that in your own time and say, O bearer of the healer. Oh, right. That she bore the healer of, of souls, meaning Christ. Heal the perennial, she doesn't even know what that means, passions of my soul. Guide me to the path of repentance. For I'm tossed in the storm of life. Deliver me from eternal fire and from evil worms and from Tartarus. Let me not be exposed to the rejoicing of demons. So let not the demons rejoice when I, you know, sin or if I lose my soul. Guilty as I am of many sins. Renew me grown old from senseless sins. So he's saying, the person's praying, ask Mother of God, I sin continually, continually. Renew me, help me. I'm most immaculate one. Grant me torrents of tears. Grant me like tears to come out like a river, O most pure one, to cleanse my soul from impurity. I offer the groans of my heart. So it says here that it shows that we have to have groan, with the groan within ourselves over our sinfulness. We don't, a lot of us don't have that. And that means we should... So it says, I offer the groans of my heart. Well, if you haven't got it, you condemn yourself. Unceasingly strive for me, O sovereign lady. Accept my service supplication. Offer it to compassionate God. O thou who art above the angels, raise me above this world's confusion, etc., etc. 
So, that is true what St. Theophan is saying. It's very important, especially for um, people who don't know how to pray, to read the morning and night prayers and to familiarise yourselves, all of us, with the prayers, looking up dictionaries if you have to, and just thinking about it. Yes. Secret eating, of course, it's mostly to do with monasteries whereby they have set times to eat and then they would eat outside of those set times. Now, for people in the world, secret eating, I don't know, maybe maybe it could be if you're breaking the fast secretly and then you pretend you're still doing it. And uh, I don't know how that applies to fully to... Um, because remember, some of these prayers were written especially um, for monastics. However, they mostly apply to all of us, in, even in the world. We sh- so we say we should pronounce the words properly, penetrate the meaning, and um, if we read, so it says, uh, Saint Nikon of Optina states, we should pronounce the words of the prayer attentively and penetrate the meaning, but not strive for something too exalted, which is what that person in the church was... When you try and strive for something that's like some type of spirit, like you're in another world or something like that, he goes, don't do that. If we read incorrectly and do not pay attention to what is read, we please the demons. Just Pay attention to the words and concentrate. Don't try and go for exalted feelings. If you want that, obviously, there's other religions which you get it, but it's deception. Having contemplated, he's saying, in other words, having studied the prayer book and and the prayers, their meaning, and being affected deeply, make an effort to learn the prayers by heart. In this way, when it is time for prayer, you won't have to clumsily look for and handle your prayer book and lights. Back in the old days, they used to use candles and lamps and things like that. Now, of course, we just switch on a light. But the point here is he, the saints did say, try and learn prayers off by heart. Some people, after reading them for years, they might know some. That's something that I don't have. I can't memorise um, prayers too well. That's me. Some people can. If you can do it, and it's good because it says if you learn prayers by heart, you will not be distracted by what your eyes see and you'll be able to hold your mind's attention more steadily upon God. So what he's trying to say is that when you've got a, the prayer book in front of you, you're turning pages, you've got to look at the words, you, you kind of it's a bit like more work. But when you know them off by heart and you're just concentrating on the words, then without having to worry about, the, as I said, the light and the books and things like that, but, you know, that's, some people can do that. It's good advice, but it, you don't mean that because you can't learn them off by heart. It means that it's the end of the world. But that's just something that he advised. If you learn the prayers by heart, you will not be distracted by what your eyes see and you'll be able to hold your mind's attention more steadily upon God. You will see for yourself what a great help this is. Learning prayers by heart ensures that at all times and in every circumstance, prayers... In other words, prayers from the prayer book, etc., and other sources are with you. And this means a great deal. What does that mean? It means that by knowing the prayers off by heart, wherever you are, then you can repeat them. 
if you feel like it. For example, the prayer of Theotokos and Virgin, which is said usually in Compline. I think it's somewhere there. The famous prayer, which we learnt in Talk 32, where the, uh, where, the spirit, where the monk fell into deception and his spiritual father said, tell your angel, because he thought an angel appeared to him, but it was the devil. And he said, either Talk 32 or 33, and he, the spiritual father said, tell him to say a Theotokos and Virgin which the demons couldn't... So he went and asked him, and then he came back to the spiritual father and said, yes, he said it, and if you remember correctly, he wasn't saying it, but this person was so deceived that he believed that the demon was saying it, the angel that he thought, but he was only mumbling, because demons cannot repeat prayers, especially this particular prayer, which is the whole thing of Christ's incarnation. O Theotokos and Virgin, rejoice... O Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, for thou hast borne the Saviour of our souls. So that's a prayer, and we sing this when we do the five loaves here, when we do it sometimes, uh, in Greek and things like that. So it's nice to memorise some prayers, and if you have trouble memorising prayers, you can always memorise short prayers, like I said before. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, sin, etc. That's why the church has given us little prayers, because the church understands that not everyone can actually learn prayers off by heart. But there are little ones that you can do. Our Father, of course, Heavenly King, Holy Trinity, the Creed, the Theodogos and Virgin. Now we come to the section on bowels and prostrations. St Ignatius writes, bowels are divided into two. Into two. There are bowels... From the waist, and there are bowels where we do prostrations down to the ground. That's the two. They are generally appoint, appointed for the evening rule. Now, in the Russian tradition, they um, this is because they're Russian. They usually do their bowels in the night time, but in the Greek, it could be done in the morning, in the night. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes priests say to the person, "Okay, you do ten prostrations in the morning, ten at the night, something like that." It's good to do prostrations, both. But the point here is there is something valuable. It is best to make bows before reading the evening prayers. That is to begin the rule with bows. Bows tire and warm the body to some extent and bring the heart to a state of contrition. See that? By doing bows and prostrations, it warms the body up and this helps the person to come to a state of repentance. In such a state, the ascetic prays with greater zeal, warmth and attention. The prayers have quite a different taste when they are read or said after bows. He's saying that when you do bows, prostrations, before your prayers, it warms you up, it puts you in a better state, so that when you read your prayers, you get more of an effect. says, prayers have quite a different taste when we read them after we've done prostrations. See, some people wake up in the morning and they get their prayer books and they're still a bit dizzy and they're reading, etc. But that's not what you do. You start off, you do your cross, you do bows if you can. I mean, if it depends on your sick, I mean, on everyone's health. If people can do prostrations, they do their cross onto the ground, up again, etc. You do five, six, ten of them, 
that put you in a better mood to be able to read your prayers, both in the morning and in the night. But there's other advice on that too. St Ignatius continues, bowels from the waist and prostrations must be made extremely unhurriedly for the bodily labour must be based on repentance. So don't just, like a Speedy Gonzales type of thing, just go quick, quick, quick. But you concentrate. You do your prayer, you think and make your prostration. Some people just say, oh, I've got to do ten, I better do them quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, as if they're in the army or something doing push-ups. But that's not what we do for prayer. When about to make prostrations, give your body a most reverent attitude, such as a slave and a creature of God should have in the presence of his Lord and God. So when we stand in ready to do our prayers, we stand with respect in front of God, our body posture to be proper. You don't slouch. And then we concentrate we, and we do the prostrations. Um, then collect your thoughts and with extreme unhurriedness, just allowed to yourself enclosing the mind in the words and from a contrite and humble heart, say the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So here, he's, again he's saying, get your mind, enclose the words in your mind, feel them in your heart when, you, you know, when you're saying the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Some people leave the Son of God out. And this will help you to be humble. It will help you to have repentance, making your prostrations. You do a few of them. Having said the prayer unhurriedly, make a prostration with reverence and the fear of God without excitement with the feeling of a person repenting and asking for the forgiveness of his sins, as if he were at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, people, people do do that. They're always in a hurry to do prostrations quickly. All of us fall into that. We don't do that. And we have to understand that we're standing in front of God. Later on we'll read, if I remember correctly, that when we are doing physical exercise, it stimulates the mind. And when your mind is stimulated physiologically, it helps to pray. That's why people who study, when they also lead an active life, then they are able to learn better. As for those who sit in front of computers, like a lot of children now, they sit in front of computers or in front of the television, they're not physically doing much, riding a bike or doing something. They, the blood's not running around, it's not stimulating the mind. Those people find it very hard to learn. They have learning difficulties. So it is important to stimulate the mind through exercise in the normal world but in the spiritual world same thing through the prostrations we're stimulating the mind which helps us to concentrate on prayer uh, now where it says where he says here um, uh, don't have excitement you know people get this excitement if it's not right with the feeling of a person repenting and asking for something as if you're at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ himself I put a little bracket there. Don't imagine this in your mind. You don't imagine that you, 
you see Christ in your mind and then you're at the feet of Christ. This is done through faith. More on that later on. We come to the next section. St Ignatius con con continues, Do not worry about the number of bows. Pay all your attention to the quality of your prayer performed with prostrations. A small number of bows made in the way described above will have a much greater effect on the body itself than a large number made hurriedly for the sake of quantity and without attention. There's no point if you're going to do prostrations, if we're going to do that, and we're going to actually do them quickly without concentrating. There's no point. It's actually a very big sin. Experience will soon prove this. When you get tired, pass from prostration, in other words, stop doing the prostrations, and go to bows, where you can do half bows, where you do your cross and you make a bow at, the, at your waist. Um, uh, the extent of the bow from the waist, now the way the Russians do it, that when they make their bows, when making it, they extend their hand should, uh, to touch the ground or the floor. So what they mean by these half bows is that they do their cross and then they go down. Must have very good um, calf muscles, those people. But they go right down, this and that. Now, that um, the Greeks, I think that I've noticed that when they do their prayer ropes, etc., they do their cross and they do like a bow like that. Um, the ones to the ground are good like that too. However, um, it can be difficult for some um, people. Now, there's also the prostration. So we say there's three. The first the one is when you go right to the ground onto your knees, like a prostration, right? You do your cross and you fall down to the ground like a prostration. If you go to church, you'll see that when people do it. Then you have the one which is a half bow where it's uh, down and you touch the, the, um, the ground. And the other one is, a, again, a half bow, but you don't go right down, but you go as far, just a little bit down like that. So he says, you change. You go from prostrations right down, then you read a bit of prayers, and then you do some half bows, then back to prostrations, and back to some prayers, etc. Sprinkle it through like that. Now he says here, having so prepared yourself to stand at prayer, be careful to keep your mind from wandering and be careful to keep your feelings from turning cold and indifferent. Always make an effort to keep your attention and to acquire warmth of feeling. Right? That's the whole purpose of the prayer. To try to have what's called spiritual warmth. And what's the spiritual warmth mean? A person who has faith in, in Christ but, and has humility, which all comes through repentance. After reading each prayer, do as many prostrations as you feel necessary together with a prayer for any need that you have and say the usual short prayer that is a Jesus prayer. Your prayer, no doubt, will take longer this way, but they will grow in strength. What he's trying to say is this. So we start the prayers, we do some prostrations in the morning. Then we start our morning prayers. We might do a couple of them. And at that time, you put your prayer book down and then you do some prostrations again, how you, how, how you feel. And then you continue on with some more prayers. And then you feel like you do, you do some more. Some more prostrations. Or even during each prayer at the end, you might say, you read the first prayer there. After you finish, you do a half bow. Or you do a full 
prostration, or you might do five prostrations. So he says it takes longer, but you will have, as he says here, um, it, it will take longer, but, but they will grow in strength and it will be quite a different prayer. And people who do do that keep up prayer because they've got the stimulation, the blood, the mind has been stimulated, the prayer, the prostrations, everything like that. That's a very powerful prayer rule. Praying in your own words, particularly at the end of your prayer rule, spend additional time saying your own prayers, which is called what we call spontaneous prayers in your own words, may come during the reading of formal prayers too. They might even come. You might read, you might get through the first or second prayer in the night and all of a sudden you feel a little bit of an urge to pray in your own words. That can be done. You might feel the urge to do a few prostrations. Then you continue on. So he says that you can, you can pray in your own words but still stick to the book as much as possible because people who kind of leave the book, after a while, they stop praying altogether. Ask for forgiveness when during prayer your mind wanders unintentionally and surrender yourself to God's care for the whole day. So that's true. When we are praying, our minds do wander. We just simply ask God for forgiveness. Try to go back to where you lost, where you lost out. Say so you're up to a prayer and you read, you read it, but then you realise that you lost your concentration halfway through. Go back to it properly. Or when you're doing the Jesus prayer and you're not concentrating, ask God for forgiveness and then try again. By now, I've, I've added this to it. My, um, so it's not from Theophano Cruz, but I'm adding some, a little point here. By reading the prayers, you'll be able to know what to pray, which I've said, uh, what to pray for in your own words. Without the prayer book, how are you going to know how to pray in your own words? Help me. Not, and for examples of some things that people, they might say in their own words, it might be, help me not to sin, grant me good thoughts, enlighten my darkened mind, which is what Saint Gregory Palamas used to say, and help me not to judge, deliver me from forgetfulness, save me from hell, help me to repent, grant me humility, protect me from the demons. This can be prayers that you do in your own words. Um, grant me patience in my afflictions, because we often get impatient. Grant me remembrance of death, to remember that I'm going to die. Grant me the fear of God. Grant me self-knowledge. Help me to love my enemies. Free me from vainglory and pride. Help me in my studies. Worldly things doesn't matter. Help me in my work. Help me, help me love my wife, husband, children, parents, etc. Grant me obedience. Help me to be obedient. To who? At work, etc. And all those around us. Help me in my responsibilities. Guide me in the upbringing of my children, etc., etc. There are so many prayers that one can do in their own words. Now, Saint Theophan the Recluse also goes on to memorizing Psalms. And I had that prepared, but time's running out. He says quickly, I was going to read some, but I haven't got time, but he said it's very good to memorize several Psalms and recite them while you are working or between tasks. Doing this instead of short prayers with concentration. This is one of the most ancient Christian customs mentioned by and included in the rules of St. Pachomius and St. Anthony. A lot of the ancient saints, they had this thing of remembering, memorising the whole Psalter, which is 150 psalms. And a lot of them did. They actually knew them all off by heart. 
Some of them, that's all they, that's all, apart from the Jesus prayer, that's all that they would do, the Psalms continually. Now, St. Theophan says, which Psalms should you memorise, if you want to, that is? Memorise the ones that strike your heart as you are reading them. Each person will find different Psalms to be more effective for himself. Begin, for example, with Psalm 50. The have mercy on me, O God, according to that great mercy. That's a wonderful Psalm. St. John of Cronston says, when you've sinned, and then you don't, you go to the prayers and you try to ask God for forgiveness. If you can't repent, he says, say Psalm 50. If you can't repent, say Psalm 50 again. If you can't repent, he says, continually say Psalm 50. And then if you still can't repent, then condemn yourself that you can't repent. But the point is that that Psalm helps with repentance. Then there's the um, prayers that we say during the liturgy. I think it's the bless the Lord of my soul. And that's, I think, Antiphon 1. Praise the Lord of my soul, I think, which is Psalm 145. I think the other one's Psalm 102. I'm getting these right. Um, they're the Antiphons. There are also Psalms in the canon for divine communion. For example, Psalm 22, the Lord is my shepherd. People like to read that. Others, there's Psalm 23, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And another one, Psalm 115, I believe, wherefore I spoke. And he says the first psalm of the evening vigil, which is Psalm 69. He often mentions Psalm 69. He says that that is an excellent psalm to know off by heart. He says, when memorising these psalms, do not forget to dig into the meaning and to experience the feeling of, in each word. Then when you say the prayer, the words themselves will hold your attention and warm you into a prayerful attitude. You see... Like we, like we heard in the talk a few months ago, that the word of God has power. Well, these are the, these are the word of God. The prayers and the psalms are the word of God. When we read them and, and we try to concentrate, the fact that the words are holy in themselves, they also help us along when we're praying because they sanctify us. Because they're holy. Having memorised all this, you will totally... Be armed for prayer. When a disturbing thought comes to mind, rush to fall down before the Lord with either a short prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, or my holy thought help me, or one of the Psalms, especially, again he says, Psalm 69, which is a short psalm, and the disturbing cloud will immediately vanish. For example, after your evening prayers, having, and he says here, after your evening prayers, having placed yourself in God's care once again, lie down with a short prayer, so people go to sleep, just say in the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, and fall asleep like that. Or, he says, you know, you can also recite a psalm and fall asleep while reciting the psalm. And you have far better sleep than what you would if you didn't pray before you had a bed. That's a very good practice. Now, there are people who fall asleep in front of the television, and um, then for them... I don't know what to terrorise in sleep, I think. Did St John of Constant say for a certain amount of prayers you get a certain amount of hours for sleep? Did he say anything? Oh, what did he say? He said sleep before 12 is worth more, double what it's worth after 12. He said so if you sleep one, uh, two hours before 12 o'clock, it's like four hours after 12 o'clock and prayer as well before you go to bed gives much better sleep. So praying, but also sleeping early. But of course, people don't sleep much early anymore because they're too busy on the internet. So that's a whole that's a whole problem. One thing I did want to say: 
Psalm 102, which is the first psalm that they sing in the liturgy. In the Greek church, they do the, um, by the intercessions of the Theotokos, they've actually, only some monasteries do it, but in the Slavonic churches, they actually sing um, properly the whole of the Psalm 102. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is with me, bless his holy name. And it's sung. But it says here, like it starts off, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And it goes on, Who is gracious unto all thine iniquities, who healeth all thine infirmities. Compassionate and merciful is the Lord. See how Saint David, Prophet David wrote? Compassionate and merciful is the Lord. Long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. That God is long-suffering. That means he doesn't become, when we sin, immediately angry to punish us. But he's long-suffering, patient, waiting for us so that he can grant his mercy when we ask for us. Not unto the end will he be angered, neither unto eternity will he be wroth. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our iniquities from us. Now, people are seeing this and listen to it, don't even know what it means. As far as the east is from the west, well, there is no distance. East, west, infinite. Because east goes on forever that way, west goes on forever that way, therefore it's infinite. So as far as that distance is, that's the same as when we sin, that God takes away our sins such that it's as far as east is from west. In other words, they're gone. He just takes them away. And this part is very moving. Like a father has compassion upon his sons, so has the Lord had compassion upon them that fear him. He, for he knows where we are made. He has remembered that we are dust. In other words, he knows that we are mortals. He knows that we are sinful. He knows that we are inclined to sin. But like a father has compassion upon his worldly children, God as our Heavenly Father, has compassion upon us, knowing that we are weak, etc., etc. That's why the Psalms are very, very um, uh, uh, powerful, and we should order um, some Psalters as well, because you don't want to read the ones that are in the ordinary Bibles, because they're not properly translated, but we should get orthodox Psalters, so hopefully. So you may substitute prostrations in short prayers and your own words of prayer for your whole prayer. He's saying here, that after a while, if you like, you can get rid of the prayer book and just do short prayers and your own words and prostrations, etc. Stand and begin to do prostrations by saying, Lord, have mercy, or some other prayer, expressing your needs, or by glorifying God or thanking him. To avoid laziness, you must repeat a definite number of prayers or set a specific length of time for prayer or bath. Now, there are people who have been in the church for years who actually don't use prayer books anymore. They just do Jesus' prayer, short prayers and prostrations and their own words. That's true. But those people are under the guidance of a spiritual father and he's keeping track that they don't lose themselves. And that's after many years. For people who are in the church, and even if you've been in the church for years, if you've never really prayed, you just consider yourself a beginner. That's safer. A beginner. Beginners use Prayer books, sprinkled with prostrations, short, short prayers, and with uh, your own words. As many years later, and with, under the direction of a spiritual father, he might say, okay, you can leave those written prayers now, and you can just stick to 
short prayers, which means most holy thought that will save us, prayer, cross, or Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, or um, sh um, your own words and prostrations and bows. But to avoid laziness, you must repeat a certain number. So, for example, the spiritual father might say, okay, you might do 300 knots, 300 prayers. That's what you do every day. So that, because if you just do it like that, you might just say, um, oh, I'll do three minutes today, ten minutes tomorrow, half an hour, then it goes all over the place, and at the end you just give up. So it says, to avoid laziness, to avoid or excessive zeal, when you're doing these prayers, you do a certain number of prostrations and a certain number of prayer ropes. Now, with the prayer rule, prayer, uh, we'll come to that in a minute, time distortion. What does that mean? It says, such a prayer rule is of utmost importance because we have a certain strange habit about us. When, for example, we are busy in the world, doing worldly things, hours pass as minutes. But when we stand at prayer, a minute does not go by and we think we've been at prayer for hours. See? We go to church, some people say, oh, you know, it's too long. But you've only been there for five minutes. Or you're doing prayer at home. And just... Staying in prayer, and it's like it's excruciating. Like you're there for five minutes, and it's like you've been there for hours. That's what's called time distortion. But he goes, but when we stand at prayer, a minute does not go by, and it seems as though we have prayed for hours. Time distortion brings no harm when we complete a full established prayer rule from your prayer book. But when we pray with only prostration and short prayers, time distortion can be a great temptation. This can cause us to stop prayer, having only begun leaving us with delusion that our prayer was finished. You know, when you're not concentrating on the proper number of things or set number of prayers, and while you're praying, you can actually think that you've done your prayer rule when you're doing just prayer without caring or your own words. You can actually think that you've been there for half an hour when you've only been there for two minutes or three minutes or five minutes. We lose ourselves. And the best thing is to have a certain time. That's what I always advise people. Have a time. If you want 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour, that's your prayer rule. That's what you do. You stick to that time. If you haven't finished what you usually do in your 10 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour, that's it. Leave it. Finished. That's your half an hour. If you feel like doing a bit more, okay, but you must do your half an hour or whatever you're set to do. And that way we don't get confused. Now, are there any questions on that so far? Is it becoming confusing? No, I hope not. Because the short prayers are more powerful than the prayer book. Because the prayer book, you're going, which for beginners, okay, you're going through a lot of things. But when you're doing a short prayer, you're focusing. When you're doing, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ. It helps to penetrate and to stay on attention and therefore you progress more. But that's later on. 
People like to jump and like to say, oh, I'm, I'm progressed, I'll do that. And at the end, they get hit and knocked out. Look, for example, I'm, I speak to a woman overseas, a Christian woman, very pious woman. She's told me that there are a lot of um, people over there who are connected to the monasteries of, for example, Father Ephraim and other good monasteries, because there's other good monasteries there too, that have spiritual fathers that are monastics or spiritual mothers that are abbesses and spiritual things like that. And she told me, which I was quite surprised, she goes, there's some that do prayer rope two to three hours a night. And I would never allow that because, one, uh, I don't have that experience because you can, when you start going into that deep top of prayer, you might enter into um, things that if, you, if you're not experienced, uh, you might not know that it's deception, you see? So that's why I just stick to simple things. But elders and eldresses that are experienced, they can lead their people into these longer prayers, deeper prayers, etc., because they know. They are protected. But those things are very exceptional. And these people are obedient. Their whole life is obedience to their elders, to their eldresses, to the church. They struggle, they repent, they commune often. And, you know, and a lot of people, unfortunately, that live here, especially in Australia, because it doesn't, doesn't exist much, then we're looking at troubles when we start going into too much of that. Personally, I don't think that there is really anyone in Australia that's of the calibre of these people that are in Greece. Some exceptional people may be in Serbia, Russia, there's, there's a few of them there, and in America because of these people that have come from Anathos, etc., these people can guide people in the prayer. Personally, I hope I don't get, you know, um, people going to get upset about it, but here it does not much. Simple. Keep things simple. Better, what, the, what did the Holy Father say? Better to do a little bit and constant than to do a lot and lose everything, fall into deception or just give up altogether. To avoid falling into self-deception... The holy men of prayer invented the prayer rope. The prayer rope is used by those who plan to pray independently of the prayer book. It is used by saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and pulling one knot through your fingers. Of course, I don't know why he's saying that. I think um, you can use prayer ropes and the prayer book. You do a little bit of prayer from the written prayers. You do a little bit of prayer rope, a little bit of prostrations, etc., I, maybe he's talking to a particular person who was going to give up the prayer book altogether. Repeat the prayer again and move another knot, and so on with each prayer. You may make a prostration from the waist or to the ground as you desire each prayer. So some people, they do. For example, you might have a simple prayer up, might have a bigger one, but let's just say that's um, 25, I think. So some people do half bows to all of those knots, then when they come to the big one, for example, at the end, they might do a big one to the ground. Or some people have 10, 10, 10. I think Russians have, they have 10, and then they've got a, a, a hard one, and then another 10, another one. So they do 10 bows, and on the 10th one, they prostration. Another 10 bows, on the 10th one, prostration right down, you see? So that's also uh, good. I remember that I also gave you all a prayer book the prayer rope, which I, which I 
some people um, bought from overseas and with the money that people put in for missionary money. We gave everyone a, one of these and if you haven't got one you can come and get one later on. And that also has um, quite a lot of things and these are written by people who who guide people in the world and it's just back at the back when I read the other night. It's just little short things and I might have, you might do a few prayer ropes and things like that, explains there. He said... The whole rule consists of a fixed number of prayers and prostrations combined with prayers in your own words. For reading this, don't think... Now, St. Theophan saying to the person reading this, don't think I'm trying to push you towards monasticism because that's what people believe. They go, oh, he's speaking like that because he's a monk. Even about myself, they say, oh, because he's a monk, that's why he's telling people they should do the Jesus prayer, this and that. Look, some people don't know what day it is. And the point of the matter is that the Jesus prayer and all these things that we're saying were given to people that were in the world. Just little things. It doesn't have to be a lot, which would come... You know. St Theophan said, I myself learned of prayer with the prayer rope, not from a monk, but from a layman. For many lay people pray this way, and you too will profit by this. When, prayer, when prayers from the prayer book and memorised prayers become tedious. In other words, you're bored. It's the same prayers every day. They might become dry, monotonous, routine, etc. Uninspiring. You may use the prayer rope for a day or two, completely, and then return to your prayer book and memorise prayers. Thus things will improve. So the fathers of the church know. I find that too. Sometimes if I read the same prayer every day, you know, the same thing, and you get a bit bored, etc. So that's why the church has such an assortment of things. St. Anatoly of Optimus states, in the beginning the Jesus prayer is always difficult and not pure, but later it is pleasant. Say the Jesus prayer more often, it will gladden the heart. But that's after a long period of time. Again I repeat, says St. Theophan, the essence of prayer lies in lifting the mind and heart to God. Prayer rules are only aids to this. We cannot get by without them because of our weakness. May the Lord bless you. So we all need prayer rules. Now we come to uh, Zora's question about wandering thoughts during prayer. Now someone writes to him and he writes back, you write that you are having trouble controlling your thoughts and that they scatter easily and praying does not proceed as you wish. Thoughts wonder when one is reading spiritual works and during prayer what should one do so the elder says sorry saint theophan says no one is free from this there is no sin in it only vexation and i looked that up vexation means irritation annoyance frustration you just as soon as you try to concentrate again the thoughts come Again, you try and concentrate, then another thought comes. So he says you get frustrated, irritation, it's called vexation. So, wandering thoughts become a sin when one willingly allows the mind to be distracted. If we are purposely doing it, then it's a sin. But if thoughts scatter involuntarily, what fault can there be? There is a fault, though, when one notices thoughts wandering and wanders along with them. So as soon as we notice our mind begins to wander, wander we lose our concentration on it. And we notice it, and we don't do anything about it, or we go along with it. So we're praying, and all of a sudden we think about meeting someone to have a coffee, etc. And then you start, 
as soon as you notice that, back to the prayer. But if you start thinking and going along, we can actually go along with the thought for five minutes. People say, I can't believe it. I've been standing here for five minutes and my mind has been gone for five minutes and I forgot all about the prayer. Because we... Yeah, and, you know, look, people who watch a lot of television or who have watched a lot of television, those people would find it very hard to concentrate on prayer because the mind is very weak. Television weakens the mind. So don't be too harsh on yourself. You will find that... Uh, it depends on your past, on your history. If you have a history with music, a lot of music, a lot of television and video, etc., computers, then you will find prayer very difficult and it will take a long time for the mind to be healed. So when we catch ourselves, we must bring back our mind to where we left off. To be free from the tendency to have wandering thoughts during prayer, one must concentrate and pray with warmth. Pray with warmth. Before prayer, one should prepare for such an effort by making prostrations, like I said before, and by a moment of reflection. When you come into the prayer, don't just come like that. When you come to prayer, you, as I said, you do some prostrations, you think about your sins, you ask God forgiveness, you think about your salvation, so that you can get into the mood for prayer. I have stated more than once exactly what efforts must be made. Do not allow your thoughts to wander at will. When they do involuntarily escape, immediately turn them back, rebuking yourself. In other words, you say to yourself, it's wrong. Don't, you know, that's, in other words, you tell yourself off. Repenting and grieving over this disorder. He calls it a disorder. As St. John the Latter says, we must lock our mind into the words of prayer by force. We must lock our minds. It, it's, look... It's excruciating. For a lot of people, including myself, it is excruciating. It's very difficult. The more our life is distracted with everyday things, the more it's very difficult. Especially people when they're all day at work or whatever, say university or whatever they've gone, and then they come home and then they're tired and then they are, their minds are just ready to explode. It's difficult. So in those cases, what do you do? You do what you can and offer God forgiveness and just call out, God, forgive me for my, you know, for my state, etc., etc. And even that can be quite powerful. Don't expect an instant prayer life. St. Hilarion of Optin states, God does not demand undistracted prayer from beginners, which is what you brought out to me. People come to me and say, oh, I can't control my thoughts. I say, so what? So what if you can't? And they think that, that, but the fathers of the church say that you're supposed to pray without distraction. Yes, that's the aim. But it takes years to acquire that. And it's proud for you to think that you're on the same level as the Holy Fathers. We're not. God does not demand undistracted prayer from beginners. It is acquired with much time and labour, as the rhyme of the Holy Fathers say, God grants prayer to those who pray. The more you pray, the more you learn to pray. By praying, you learn to pray. 
like mathematics, you know, I used to teach it. So some kids, you'd see them just before an exam and they'll have their, like some card that they made up and they had all their formulas on there, right? They had all their formulas. The area of a trapezium, the area of a triangle, they had the area of a circle, the circumference, etc. the circumference of a circle, 2 pi r, whatever, all that. So they had all these formulas. And I said, what's that? He goes, oh, I taught my formulas. So they sit for the test. And they fail. Now, why do they fail? When they had all the formulas, they learned. They said, I learned all these formulas. I said, you learned them, but you didn't learn how to apply them. See? It says, the circumference of a circle is pi times the diameter. So if they, in the question, if they've got a circle and they give them the radius, which is 3... Because they don't know how to apply it, they don't know that the radius is 3, but the diameter is 6. So they don't know how to apply it. See, they don't know how to apply it because they only know the formulas. That's the same as in, um, in the spiritual life. We need to have experience in prayer. Remember the mistake that I said when I went to a university when I was there? In my, just for one year I went there, first year. And I had to do chemistry and I bought all these chemistry textbooks. I went to the, to the bookshop then, I bought my own, and plus I bought other ones. And I read them and read them and read them as if I was reading Mary Poppins, like a novel. I sit for the test, I get my, my result, pass terminating. I, go to, I said to the people, what's that mean? It means, well, you passed, but you didn't pass enough to go into second year, etc. And I said, I can't believe it, I had all these books. And then I realised that... I didn't know how to apply what I was reading. I never didn't do any practice questions, see, maths, etc., etc. So I had to do a, a make-up, what's called, and, I, and to convert it to pass. So I went and sat for, I went and did a summer thing for about four weeks. And this time I said, oh, I've known my mistake. I'm going to do every single question that they give me. So I, got, I did every question. And every test that I sat for I was getting 90s. And I said, that's it. And when I started teaching, I taught the people, I used to give that example. You can't learn subjects like maths, physics, etc., and driving, even driving. You can't learn to drive by reading the road transport book, right? So some people say, oh, I, can, I can do that. They get in the car. And the council gets upset because they damaged the tree because they smashed into it. <laughs> Why? Because it's they have to have practical experience. That's what prayer is. You need practical experience. Instantaneous prayer life is impossible. So let's get that in our heads. Instantaneous prayer life is impossible. You must make a strong effort to control your thoughts, at least to some degree. Make an effort, you fail, you repent. Prayer does not come about as you expect by just wishing for it and suddenly there it is. This does not happen. Now we come to the demonic spirits in prayer. In, Saint, in this book, Christ is in our midst, letter 31, Far Elder John says, it is good that you are making an effort to advance in prayer. That's good that you're trying to progress. Prayer is more precious than anything else. But it is more disgusting and hateful to the enemy than anything else. The demons hate nothing more than prayer. They hate nothing more than a person who prays. 
He puts many obstacles in our way, but there is no need to fear him. The Lord gives prayer to him who prays. There it is again. Even he says it. The Lord gives prayer to him who prays. God bless you. St. Vasunufius of Optinus states, The Jesus prayer is the most essential weapon in the work of our salvation. But he who takes hold of it must expect temptations and be prepared for an inner battle. So, we don't just willy-nilly, we come along and say, oh, they, they pray with the prayer rope, I'm going to do it too. Right? As if it's a game. I'm going I'm to use the prayer rope. What are the Holy Fathers here saying? They're saying that even just holding the prayer rope brings temptations. Why? Because the demons are scared that you're going to start to use it. But he who takes a hold of it must expect temptations and be prepared for inner battle. Not the demons appearing like some people think. They appear to the saints and to some people for whatever reason. But that's very rare. We go through what's called inner battle. A battle with our thoughts. The demons do not like the Jesus prayer and in every way they take revenge on the person who strikes them with the word. Because St. John of the Latter said, strike the devil with the prayer of Christ, with the prayer of Jesus. The Jesus prayer, it's like fire in his face when it's, of course, done properly. He continues, prayer, this is St. Vasunufius of Optina, prayer in church is important. The best thoughts and feelings come in church, yes, and the enemy attacks more violently in church, but with the sign of the cross and the Jesus prayer, you drive him away. It is good to stand in some dark corner in church and to pray to God. It is good so he says here that the best prayer is in, is in church. See, people say, oh, no, no, we do prayer at home. You do prayer at home, but the purpose of the prayer at home is to prepare for the prayer in church because the prayer in church has everyone there. It's concentrated. The liturgies, the Holy Spirit's coming down on the bread and wine and, to, and turning into body and blood. The church is the most powerful when it's to do with prayer and that's where the devil fights and that's why we see people coming late people don't come at all a whole disaster every sunday it's just every sunday when it's liturgy for example you just it just happens people come up at halfway through or even some people come at the our father some uh, people don't come at all they said, oh, I was going to come, but then this happened, or I slept in, or I got sick, or this and the children, and it just goes on. These are all a lot of temptations, because prayer in church is very, very powerful. But I love this part. It is good to stand in some dark corner in church and to pray to God. See? But today, we don't have that. Today, people say it's good not to stand in some corner and pray. Today, we go and go in the altar. We go in the choir. We help in the selling of the candles. We've got to do something so everyone can see us. Not, that doesn't mean that everyone who does that, they're doing it for vainglory. But in general, especially people that have just come into the church, pluck, there they are, straight away. They repent, come to the church, and straight away, they're singing away there or in the altar. We spoke about this last time, and then they wonder why they get hit. The demons hit people who do work in the church. 
because if he can knock one of them down, he does a lot of work. So, for example, you've got a person who works in the altar, helps in the altar, a young fellow, say 16, 17, and if the demons can make him fall, other people see him and they go, oh, look at him, he, he helps in the altar, but yet he smokes drugs or he does this or he does that, does that, which means it's okay. So it's an advertisement. The demons like advertisement, especially when he can make a priest do something scandalous or a monk or a nun. He fights especially the priests because he wants people to see and say, look at that priest, he's doing this or that priest is doing that. And that way, uh, by knocking them down, then people go, oh, well, if he's, if he's doing that, we can do it too. St. Ignatius writes, as long as our fallen nature is alive in, in us, it opposes prayer like death. We are all fallen. Our nature, after the fall of Adam and Eve, is inclined to sin. We're fallen. Fallen spirits, the demons, knowing the power of prayer and its beneficial effect, attempt by all possible means to divert us from it, prompting us to use the time assigned to prayer for other occupations, or else they try to make it have no benefit and defile it with every distraction and sinful inattention by producing at the time of prayer a countless swarm of earthly thoughts, sinful daydreams, imaginings and fantasies. So where we said before the devils attack, someone could say, how do they attack? Well, there it is. Let's have a look. Firstly, while you're at prayer, all of a sudden you remember something that you've got to go and do. Some people say, oh, I remember something, so what I do is I quickly leave and write it down. See? Something important that I remembered. Or I've got to go and ring someone. Or if he can't get you to stop, then he'll get you to try and wreck up your prayer before sinful inattention and earthly thoughts and daydreams and imaginings and fantasies, etc. St. Ignatius writes, do not picture, this is important, do not picture to yourself in your imagination the form or figure of the Lord, as this fantasy is forbidden and leads to disastrous self-deception. Never, ever, ever in prayer do you imagine, do you put in your mind that you can see Christ or that you can see a saint, etc. You don't do that. Your mind's blank from those. In your mind, all you're doing is concentrating on the words. Years ago, I went to a priest. I was a lay person. And the priest said to me, he says, when you pray, close your eyes, picture in your mind the crucified, meaning Christ on the cross, and pray. Of course, I didn't know. Later on, I've, I realised that that person was actually telling me deceptive prayer. You never, ever bring into your imagination images. That's the start for great falls. Now, you might say, well, if he's a priest, why is he telling that? It doesn't mean that every priest has everything right. Yes. you haven't got time to read and you want salvation then you have to find time to read because you just you know even what I'm saying tonight you just can't just because I'm saying doesn't mean that everything's great you've got to go and check for yourself as well you've got to ask God to help you you've got to make some diligent study you've got to you know um, 
ask people and go and listen to people who you believe are uh, doing the right thing, like good elders and elders, etc., reading books. But above all is humility, asking God to guidance, because it is, it's very difficult. You don't know these days what's going on. That's true. What you said, just reaffirm what I read in one of those books, that you shouldn't fantasise or imagine what a holy person or God should look like, which, like you said, is in the books. So Zora, did you hear what George said? He said that he's read himself, that that very teaching, he's read it, that um, you don't do it. Now, this person said it to me. I'm, I'm not, you know, not going to go and throw stones at him, right? So I'm going to say he said the wrong thing and that's it. Now, if I say the wrong thing, I might say something wrong, whatever, then you'd, I don't expect to you know, get stones thrown at me either. So what you do is you just say, well, he made a mistake. However, if I'm here teaching continually deceptive things, wrong things, then don't come. That's the whole thing, right? So that, that's, you know, you must make an effort to pray. Because when you pray, God will enlighten you. And even if someone tells you something which is wrong, but you don't even know it's wrong, you will feel it's wrong. And you go and check. Remember the story that I said? I won't say where. Somewhere, someone was in a church an Orthodox church. And during the service, a certain sermon was being read. It was read. It was written by someone. Someone was in the church, and while the sermon was being read, it was read in Greek, and this person didn't know much Greek. So the person heard this and became terrorised, but didn't know why he's getting terrorised, because he couldn't understand what was being read. Then they said the same sermon in English. So the person, again, because it was very theological, etc., the person couldn't remember, couldn't, sorry, couldn't, it just felt something was terrorising him. And the person felt like standing up and walking out or making a commotion, but of course she or he didn't do that because they didn't trust themselves. They go, well, maybe it's a deception, maybe... You know, maybe, who am I to actually think that I feel this? So the person didn't trust themselves, didn't say anything, found a copy of the sermon and sent it overseas to, um, a, to a newspaper which deals with orthodox themes and things, orthodox typos, yes, and they sent that to them anonymously, just sent it to them. And then what happened was that in the next issue, then in the in the bold letters, it said that the person who, who the per, that person who wrote that um, sermon, that that person is preaching heresy, that what was being said was heretical. Not only that, they actually said that he is a heresiarch, if that's the correct word, means that he is a creator of his own particular heresy, which is in interesting, but that person didn't know, couldn't understand. But where there's prayer, where there's sincerity, God protects. So, does that answer the question at all? No, no, it does. But just about this, it sounds like I've been looking for 
when something, when something, like, for my own example, that I have certain, I want to know something or I would like to understand something, but I don't, certain things. So I wish there was a book on it, for example. I haven't come across it. I wish I can ask someone. A lot of times I can't ask anyone. So I wait. And then suddenly it comes, I hear something, I might read something, and finally, or I ask someone, go, oh, finally. So when it's time to know, it's time to know that it will come. So the last thing... The last, uh, oh, this is extremely disappointing, isn't it? We've got some, we have to do it on the next talk, I think, because we have, um, oh, just goes on and on and on. Haste in prayer, fixed time, quality, yes, deception, correct foundation. Oh, I had Saint Seraphim, some beautiful examples. Maybe I'll end with Saint Seraphim for this particular talk because I don't want people to walk off to be... Um, um, despairish of all those who visited Saint Seraphim of Sarov the majority were simple folk many of them told him that because of their literacy in other words they couldn't read or lack of time some of them could read but they didn't have time like a lot of today they were un unable to read the prescribed prayer rule to such people he gave the following directions Upon wakening from sleep, every Christian standing before the icon should say a prayer to God, the Our Father, three times in honour of the Holy Trinity. So he says, wake up, do your, he doesn't say do your cross, but obviously you do your cross, and you say Our Father three times. Then he says, you say, O Theotokos and Virgin, rejoice, O Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed thou among women, blessed the fruit of thy womb, for thou was born the saviour of souls, three times. Then he says, you say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, once. Those prayers, Father Seraphim, Saint Seraphim explained, are the foundation of Christianity. The first prayer, the Our Father, is given by God himself, because Christ himself gave that prayer, and is the example for all prayers. The second was presented to the Virgin Mother of God by the Archangel Gabriel, the symbol of faith, the creed, contains all of the salvific dogmas of the Christian faith. What's necessary to believe, it's in the creed. Having fulfilled this rule, says Saint Seraphim, let the Christian go about his business to which he is assigned or called. Whatever it is, mother, father, farmer, whatever you are. During work, at home or on the road somewhere, let him say quietly, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. If he is amongst people, then occupying himself with his labours, let him say only to himself, Lord, have mercy, until midday. Before lunch, let him complete the morning rule set forth above the three prayers. Again, three our fathers, three rejoice, I thought that was virgin rejoice, and once the creed. Uh, after lunch, having completed his work, let the Christian say quietly, Most holy mother of God, save me a sinner, continuing until he goes to sleep. When he has the chance to be alone, then let him say, Lord Jesus Christ, through the Theotokos, have mercy on me, a sinner. Again, short prayers. Go into sleep. Let the Christian repeat the above morning rule, that is, our Father three times, 
I thought it was virgin three times in Creed, they let him fall asleep, sign himself with the sign of the cross. Holding to this rule, said the saint, it is possible to attain a measure, a measure of Christian perfection. So when you now you might say, oh, but that's that that's just a little bit, just a little bit, little bit, little bit. But it doesn't matter. It's a little bit, but constant. Remember what I said before? I said I remember this this woman said to me, Oh, I, I can't do I can't pray, I haven't got time because of the top of my work that I got, okay. I said you know, and, and she goes, I, I feel upset because I can't. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, I just give you one thing then. Just do five prostrations a day. That, that's your whole prayer rule. Don't read anything. Don't do any prayer ropes. Don't do anything. No akathis, no canons, nothing. Nothing at all. I'll take it on me. All you do is do five prostrations a day. That's it. How long would that take? Probably a, 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 a minute probably a minute then I saw her after some months how are you going how's your prayer rule going as George said before and the answer was I, have not, I haven't done it I go why uh, because I haven't got time and I said to the person you refuse to do it see so it's not just the sake of quantity. If she did those five prostrations every day except on feast days and Sunday, if she did those five prostrations and that's all, and she did that even for one year, just that prayer, which is what I wanted her to do, I wanted her just to do that, little bit, that's all. Then, slowly, slowly, she would come into a prayer, into a prayer life and she would start to progress spiritually. To this day, she doesn't do it. To this day... She's a mess. She's a spiritual disaster. So that's why Saint Seraphim is saying such a short thing. Now, if some of you say, I can't pray, I can't pray, I can't pray, I can't pray, that's it, just do that. Our Father three times when you wake up, I thought it was in Virgin three times, the creed, that's it, during the day, whenever you can, say, Lord, have mercy, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, up to lunchtime. And then he says here, you know, um, before you eat, maybe before you, um, uh, before lunch, let him complete the same thing again, the same three prayers, our Father three times, rejoice three times, creed once. And then after that, for the afternoon, instead of saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, say, Most Holy Mother of God, save me, a sinner. And then when he can, when he can be a bit more concentrating because People, not many people around. He doesn't have to talk to people. He can say even better, Lord Jesus Christ, through the Theotokos, have mercy on me, a sinner, and go to sleep saying, if you can, again, three our fathers, three O Theotokos and virgin, rejoice, very powerful prayers, and the creed, and that's it. So, yes, today I spoke a lot about prayer ropes and prostrations, etc., etc., and some of you might say, oh, that's too much, whatever. That's fair enough. Some people want that, some people don't. You can't be forced. You, you can't be forced to do prayers. I've, I learned that slowly, slowly. But, but, remember, without prayer, that, you know, how can we be saved if we don't have any interest in being with God? If you don't want to be with God while you're on earth, then how could you be with God in the next life for eternity? Because this is what people don't understand. 
They say, oh, if God's so loving, why doesn't he even put those people who are bad and don't pray, why doesn't he just put them in heaven? Because they won't be able to, they won't be able to stay there. They'll burn. Because the grace will burn them. Because people think that the fire is fire, but it's not. The fire is the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is that the Holy Fathers say that the fire of hell is nothing but the Holy Spirit, the grace of God scorching the person who doesn't want him. You see, God does not put people in hell as we think. We put ourselves in hell because we don't want him. And we show we don't want him when we aren't praying, when we aren't showing a zeal to want to be saved. So he can't force us. He can't take someone. He can't take Hitler, for example, and put him into heaven when he didn't want to be. He didn't believe, he didn't want to, and he did everything. He, he tried to do everything evil as much as possible. I think we'll have to continue on the next talk. It will be the same type of thing, so you've got a feel of it. If you don't like it, don't come. Because you will find it um, that it will be a bit too much. So, yes? Sorry, um, just two things. The uh, magazine Greece said it's good to hold your prayer while you sleep as well, just to have it in your hand. Yes. When you go to sleep, you can have the prayer up. Some people just, as they're, sleep, as they're going to bed, they might do that. And usually, you don't need, you know, people say, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And they even take sleeping pills. You don't need sleeping pills. That's a sleeping pill here. All you do is you pray. As soon as you... You won't even get through more of things because you fall asleep. A lot of times the demons make you fall asleep because they don't want you to pray. So they've got some use. And it helps you not take sleeping pills. Yes? Again, it depends if the priest wants to help you in your prayer life. Some of them don't want. So therefore, you, it's a bit hard unless you write to some of that. But you don't have to get permission. Look, you have a certain prayer rule, a certain sober. Not too much, not too little. Just a certain thing which is good for you. Now, if, for example, as you're saying, it says it here. I think you were, were you here for the whole time today? Okay. It said here, you're over there. It said over here that when you haven't got time or something happens, it's better to cut it and do a little bit. If you've only got one minute left, that's it, because the baby woke up or something happened or you know, your husband was sick or so, anything can happen. Or you just fell asleep and you didn't wake up. It's better to do one minute of prayer, concentrating with your heart, than try and do a lot to try and finish it. Just do that's it. So the church has all these beautiful um, answers. And, but, of course, if it comes every day, every day, then there's a problem. Maybe then you can speak to the priest and say, um, oh, I've got, I had a 15-minute prayer rule, but for the last three years it's been one minute. You know what I mean? Then there's a bit of a problem. But, you, you know, you've got to... Um, you can't run continually to the priest if the priest especially is one that doesn't want to. But if he is, if he's a person who knows the importance of prayer and he's interested in your prayer life, he's interested in your soul, use him as much as you can to help you.
Uh, yes, George. Is prostrations um, something you do in reverence, or is it physical for the to stimulate your mind? In what we read today, it said that two things. One, prostrations help to stimulate the mind, which help with prayer activity. So it gives the mind, uh, puts it in a better state to be able to understand the prayers. But as well, also prostrations is, re is, is reverence. So you're bowing down, you're falling down, and also you, it tires you out a bit, and this brings you to more of a repentance, etc. You didn't get that part during it? It was very long, I suppose. Yeah, but it's, it's, uh, it was, I, just, I did, but I was a little bit confused. That's all right. But you actually say that Jesus prayed, then you prostrate. You don't say it while you're prostrating. You say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, finish it and prostrate. I don't like when people are saying it as they're going down a bit. Sometimes I think it kind of muddles up everything. I think. Maybe some people can. I'm not sure. But I think, it's, I think that's what he said here. He says, you do your cross. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, or whatever you want to say. And then you go either a half one. But you see, as you, if, you, if you're actually doing a, a prayer... And then you bow down at the same time. You voice and your neck, and it's just all awkward things. Thank you. Yep. Um, and the second thing you want to say? Oh, just, uh, it might be a bit silly, the question, but you know, for morning prayers, when you get up in the morning, do you do them in your nighty or whatever, or do you get changed? Like, what is the best practice? We should not do prayers with inappropriate... I mean, as long as you're covered, there's nothing wrong with doing it like that. If you're comfortable, and what's the point in wearing clothes if as you're doing a prostration, it rips? You know what I mean? So uh, you're doing things that are comfortable, but we shouldn't come to church with short sleeves. It's not right. So people should come to church with long sleeves, men and women. I say this a lot, but people don't listen. Why? Because it's important you look you know you might say oh it's hot it's hot well i don't have you know ice underneath my black here where it keeps me cool right and in point of actual fact a lot of times people are more hot than me and when you look at it when you go into these hot countries in like arabic countries and all that, they all wearing long i know people that wear short and i'm wearing the this and then this and then this that's three, and a single one underneath too, by the way. Four things, and the other person that, say, takes me for a drive sometimes if I have to go to a doctor, he wears a um, microfiber shirt, right, all thing, no single this and that, and we're in the car, and he's always going, oh, oh, hot, 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 just continually. Why is it important? Sorry? Why is it important that the male covers these? Because it shows respect to be covered. That's, that is... Our bodily uh, postures, which we're going to come to next time, it, it reflects our soul, right? So, for example, um, you're going to go and meet the new prime minister, right? And you go in a T-shirt. Is that really appropriate? So, if we're going to show respect to her, why don't we show respect to God? Any other questions? Gregory. She never consumed any food after evening prayer and before morning prayer. After morning prayer, she started consuming the food. Is that actually a prayer rule? The main thing is in the morning, after you've 
you have um, prayed that you have your andidro, the blessed bread that we take a little bit home with us from church, and holy water straight after because that helps. So when we've prayed, we take the holy bread and then we take some holy water, drink it, and that helps us to, uh, to, to be sanctified even more because we just prayed. So, But on the other thing, it depends on the time. Some people only have time to do some of their prayers. They can't do it before they go to bed because of certain responsibilities to children or other things, so they might do it. So, Or because they've finished their night prayers at 7 o'clock, and by the time they have breakfast at 9 o'clock, they won't be able to get up because their sugar levels will be so low, they might, they might faint. So, I mean, so it depends on each person. Some people can go and say, I'm finished, my prayer is 7 o'clock, I'm not hungry anymore and I'm going to eat tomorrow. It depends on each person. The best is to do some prayers before liturgy at home because it helps with the liturgy itself. However, some people say, well, I'm going to pray in church, so I don't do it. That's up to them. You know, if you can pray beforehand, it's good to pray at home. That helps preparation to come to the liturgy. Actually, it turns out better quality at times because you're warmed up already. Sometimes when you come to the liturgy, you've woken up, you've done no, you've, you've, you've done no prayers, then you come... Some people say to me, oh, it's only until we get to the Sherebikim or the Our Father that I finally can get into the prayer. See, so it's, it takes a while to warm up. That's why it's good to do some beforehand. But no eating. No. The eating you don't eat so that you can eat the andidro. But some people take medication. Some people have sugar problems where they, their sugar levels drop. So if they haven't eaten from the night before, and then, the only, then they go to the liturgy, and then if you look at it, they finished the liturgy at around 11 o'clock, but the last time they ate was at 7 o'clock in the night, then that's, um, that's a lot of hours for some people, and that's why a lot of people get very shaky and they get sick and they go, oh, it's because I come to the service I get sick, but it's because they haven't eaten. So isn't it better to eat if you have to eat, if you're not going to commune, obviously, eat the undidero the next day, isn't it better to eat a little bit so that you can stand in the service and not miss out, rather than try and do long hours without it, because if you've got sugar problems, and then later on you say, oh, I'm sick and tired of this, I can't do it, and don't come at all, you see? So we have to use discernment. It doesn't have to be like a, a strictness where it's to the point where it's like um, a fanatical, pharisaical type of thing. You know? if, you're healthy, if, you're, if you are healthy and you don't have a problem, yes, it's better to come to the service empty stomach, because when you're fasting and you're praying, especially in the liturgy, it is more effective. However, there are people who are sick, who have to eat, they come to the service, they stand or sit, whatever they do, but it's very hard for them because they're sick. That could be worth more. They could, be, they could receive more reward than the person who doesn't eat because he's healthy. Because for them to come all the way from home sick and stand in the service, etc., etc., is excruciating. The first person might exert that much strength to get here, say he doesn't eat, he doesn't eat, comes to the service, sits, stands there, he might exert that much. The sick person has to eat, and he comes to the service, he can't even stand, has to sit down a lot of it, but he has to exert that much effort. In God's eyes, that person receives more reward than the other person. Doesn't, because God looks at how much the person wants, how much they're trying. See?
Joanna. Little things, little things like, you know, say I'm going to do, I'm going to set aside five minutes a day and um, I'm going to do five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the night. You do a couple of prayers, which everyone to do. You don't need a priest to, to say to you that you do your morning prayers or your night prayers. So that's just part of Orthodox tradition. Everyone does morning prayers and night prayers. Everyone can do a couple of prostrations. Everyone can say the Jesus prayer a little bit, as long as it's moderate a few minutes, five minutes, ten minutes a day. And, you know, um, if it's not sincere, you're not going to keep it up. And if you are sincere, you're going to get hit anyway. And, when you, you know, and then, and then um, you start to seek more help and you go back to the priest and you say, OK, you know, pray for me, help me, or you ask someone else. You can ask, you can ask an abbot or an abbess or another spiritual father or you can write overseas or you can ring up someone if you really want um, help if you're not getting help from the person who you go to because they've got no time or they don't want to help. Here's the thought, like in the curse group book that I that we put together at the back, there's Theotokos prayers for every day of the week. You can read one of them. There's no reason why that can't be done as long as it's moderate and within what an ordinary Christian does. However, when you start not eating meat on Monday, when you start doing 200 prostrations, when you start doing 15 akathas like the other person, or when you start praying, sitting like a Buddha, then there's a bit of a problem, you know what I mean? Especially if people put oranges in front of you, yep. <laughs> That's your per personal preference. Some people stand, some people can kneel, and some people can't do either, and they sit. Because you might die in your sleep. Well, if it's scary, that makes us more um, think about our death and to prepare ourselves. You see, that's why the saints wrote that, to say, look, you know, you might die in your sleep, so that's why we have to be ready. Oh, you know, we have to be ready, always asking God. And when we can't do much, all we have to say is, all we have to say is one thing like St. Theophan said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. Save me. I know I'm sinful. I know I'm bad. Forgive me. That's it, the prayer of the publican. Through the prayers of our Holy Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God have mercy and save us. Amen.